Good evening, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're having a glorious night, early morning, noon, dawn hour, 4 a.m., tossing and turning, sleeping to my voice. I promise not to yell during the entire show uh, because we've all tried to fall asleep to Dark Side of the Moon and be rudely awakened by every alarm clock known to mankind. Actually, I can't promise to yell that. I can't even promise not to turn into an alarm clock because we are subjectivists and relatives here all the way, baby. <laughs> So I hope you're doing well. We have um, a great set of uh, uh, listeners who want to call in with questions tonight. So, Mike, let's queue up right away. All right. Up first today is Ansi. And Ansi wrote in and said, I have a persistent fear of failure and issues with procrastination. What is your theory on where these issues originate? Well, thank you for calling in. What are your theories on where these issues originate? <clears throat> Actually, there was a third layer of that, which was even more important. But again, it was the, again, uh, I can, uh, to procrastination and fear of failure relate to anger from happiness, which is kind of the same. Fear of failure, procrastination. Ah, uh, damn it. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Stefan, Stefan, that I did wrote so long message. But anyway, how about, how about, so fear of failure. Well, I do have fear of failure, I think mostly because of what happened in my childhood and procrastination as well. Uh -huh. And that also affected the most important issue that I have, which is kind of same, fear of failure and anger from happiness is kind of the same for me. Tell me what you mean by anger from happiness. It's when I'm doing something that I like, which is either productive or... Uh, either productive or something that is, well, okay, artistic. Like I'm drawing something, I'm writing something, I'm having a good, I'm, I'm about to have a good time because I have a good idea for something. I have, I'm going to look for work, I'm going for interview, I have an idea for how to do certain kinds of business and so on. And then I get angry when that time approaches for me to you know stop talking and start doing stuff something and then when i want when that i feel happy that oh my god i have this idea of what to do with my life and what to do that i really enjoy and have passion for but then it's like eh, no you can't do that because being happy is somehow for some reason and i know again so many somehows it's annoying um wrong that it's wrong for me to be happy about something. And I realized that it's it it felt for a long time as if it's some kind of self-defense mechanism, no psychological defense mechanism that happens. Mind you, all of these things I've learned after learning about self-knowledge, about philosophy and so on. So I haven't, um, I've only recently, you know, understood that, hey, wait a minute, maybe, you know, the stuff that happened in my childhood, maybe it has something to do with getting angry when I'm supposed to be happy about something or, or, or anxiety and then fearing failure. And basically, it's basically like self psychological self-defense defense mechanism to basically try to procrastinate away from that which I like because I'm afraid that that which I like will be criticized, scorned at, basically thrown mud and toxic at until I become like everybody else around me. Right, right. 
And so you basically just described the issue, but I'm not sure you've described the source. Yes, I I think that it has to. So be- you're. You're, you're also procrastinating in this conversation. I just wanted to yes, I, <laughs> yes. mention that. I know. And the reason it is because I'm afraid that when I say it, it's, it's like, oh, goodness me. Uh, anyway, so I'm afraid that when I'm say, going to say it, people are going to react in a negative manner. But <clears throat> it basically has to do with the wonderful, absolutely no, in, no way inefficient Finnish public education system. And actually being there and having been bullied for quite a number of years there, and basically basically being kind of a, a scapegoat for evil people, I, I should say. Well, I shouldn't say evil children because you know not exactly doesn't make exactly sense because you know much more that happens when parents. But yes, I was bullied in school quite a bit. My all my friends were bullies. It was kind of a very toxic relationship where you were kind of caught. sorry, sorry. Yep. Did you say all your friends? Sorry, did you say all your friends were bullies or bullied? Bullied me and others. All your friends bullied you. Yes. So your definition of the word friends, as including bullies, might not be overly precise, right? No, I'm. The reason I'm saying all my friends were bullies is that I'm saying that as a child, I didn't understand why somebody couldn't, with a few good talk and a little bit of a laugh, couldn't be. I, of course, I understand now that, you know, a fr- it's not really your friend if he's being, if he's being okay. toxic. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going to have to interrupt you. I'm going to have to take charge of the conversation because I right. feel we could, we, we're just like, getting a, yeah, hit me, a whole hit lot me. of water and not a lot of wine. Okay, so um, you were raised religious, right? Yes. Okay. So you understand, of course, that in religion, success in the material world is failure with God, right? To the extent that my mother taught it, yes. Well, this is, um, you know, it is easier for a rich man, sorry, it is, <laughs> it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Yes, she said that several times, actually. So if you are attached to material success, then you are damning yourself to everlasting hellfire and having Satan stick, I don't know, uh, briquettes of molten fire up your ass for eternity, right? So that's, I think, the first and most important aspect of why you would have fear or happiness with success, right? Well, my mother never threatened me with hell or anything. Hell was almost never mentioned. Almost never mentioned? Almost never. Okay, so she mentioned it? Yes, once. Okay, so if I get a thousand emails and only one of them is a very specific death threat, am I not receiving any death threats? Well, she never threatened me as in you're going to hell if you don't do these things. So she talked about hell, right? Yes. A few times. Yeah. And what was your understanding as a child of how you would end up in hell? Well, if I didn't believe in God and if I wasn't a good person. Then you would go to hell. 
Yes, and in hell, and my mother described hell as a separation from God and not a place of torment. Which I but know, it's a negative I know, place, contrary. right? Hmm? It's a negative place, right? Yeah, it, yeah, you don't still, want that, right? Yeah, of course, it was still negative. Yes, absolutely. I mean, whatever bliss is out there. I mean, a, a heroin addict can be separated from hero, heroin, but that doesn't make his day very good, right? Yes. Okay, so it is a kind of agony, this separation from God stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can't be like just being an eight. Like, I'm, I'm separated from God in the same way that I'm separated from the Easter bunny and leprechauns and the tooth fairy because I grew up. Now, I don't feel in a state of torment because I'm not dining with uh, Woden and Thor and Jesus and so on. Right? I don't feel there's no negatives there, right? But for religious people, that's not how the story goes. The story goes that hell, if it is separation from God, is uh, is agony, right? Because this is, God is the greatest bliss to be in the presence of, and if you're permanently shut out from God's grace, if God has taken out the um, interstellar biochemical theological restraining order on your soul for eternity, then that is is horrifying, right? It's like some completely needy stalker. What was this guy showed up in Sandra Bullock's hallway uh, recently? Uh, and, uh, but Sandra, I love you. <laughs> and, uh, she, you know, obviously, so to be separated from her is agony to the point where the guy's going to risk going to jail and all that kind of stuff, right? So it is, um, for, for really needy and codependent people, being separated from the object of their love is a kind of personal agony, right? So nonetheless, it's definitely a threat, right? Yes. And if you don't mind me saying this, to that and the re- the the one thing that I was mistaking as a child for a god was actually my own inner you know I wouldn't say consciousness but my inner kind of not critic but some what is that inner I don't know if it's there's an English word for it basically your inner positive self that basically doesn't criticize you but basically looks at things with okay this thing is bad let's move away from it this is positive and so on and this is a good thing this is a good thing to do and so on that was what i mistake from god you, so you when, realize that you're you're completely wandering off course from the conversation right uh, yeah. huh right uh, you're talking to me about god was an aspect of your inner positive self I mistook it from that. So a separation from, quote-unquote, God was a separation. Well, wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, when you're a child, if your mother says, I am going to heaven, and mm-hmm. if you want to be with me, then you have to do what God says, or you have to believe in God or whatever, right? So from a, a child here, it's, look, I'm going to heaven. And so basically, you going to hell is like, I'm going to the mall. You wait in the snowy parking lot forever, Right. How's a child going to feel about that? You don't get to be with your mom in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just wanted to clarify that. But if that was an important thing to clarify, then I'm, I apologize for trailing off. Well, tell me what you mean. I'm, I'm happy to understand what you're trying to mean. Tell, tell me about what you mean by clarify, because well, I wasn't sure. And nothing was unclear for me. So oh, if you're going to okay. use the word clarif- clarify, then you, you must mean it to do with you, right? Because we're the only people in the conversation. Yeah. So separation from God as a child for me felt like separation from my inner moral consciousness and happiness when i when i was when i was knowing what i as, as a child if i wanted to do something happy something nice something inspiring then that was 
that, that I associated with all the positive ideas, feelings, and so on that came in my head as God, basically. So when my mother said, you know, separation from God, I'm going to heaven, but I hope you will. I mean, she didn't say I hope we will be there. She was very sure that I was going to be there because she basically saw me as very devout child, which was, of course, kind of meh. So when she said, you know, separation from God, when she talked about hell, I felt like I was going to cut off something that was inside of me. But of course, now I know today that it's actually... Wait, wait, sorry. Are you, are you trying to tell me that as a child, you recognized that God, what your mother, when your mother talked about God, it was an inner aspect of your own psyche? No, no, that only I recognized later. But you said as a child... As a child, that is what I felt was God. Sorry. Okay, so you felt, as a child, you felt that God was an inner aspect of your own psyche. No. As a child. So what are we talking about here? Are you just trying to completely derail the conversation? No, honestly, I'm not. Okay. Well, you said honestly, so I'll, I'll believe you. All right. Okay. So, yeah. So what was so what would you like what would you like to talk about now? Well, if because I'm trying to talk about stuff and I'm trying to give you a case and you're taking me off in like six different directions. Uh, so if you want to talk about something, that's fine. But if you're not going to let me particular, like I said, I wanted to take charge of the conversation because you were rambling. And then when I try and take charge of the conversation, you take me off on some complete uh, tangent, which has nothing to do with the conversation that I'm talking about. So if you want to talk about something in particular, I- I'm happy to listen. But if you want me to take charge of the conversation, then you have to stop interrupting with tangents, right? <sighs> I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just like, if you want value out of the conversation, then you either have to be concise or you have to let me take charge of the conversation. And if you won't do either, we have to move on to the next caller, right? It's not, not mean. I'm just sort of pointing out the reality that millions of people are going to listen to this and I need to be sensitive to their you know, time constraints. Yeah. So we were talking about basically that you said that after, okay, after I talked about my you know, childhood and so how did about how, and I tried to define what anger from happiness was, you talked about me being religious, which of course, I yes, I agree with you, definitely has something to do with that, most likely quite a bit, but not as, hmm. so should, should I then of course say that yes, definitely my mother being religious and raising me as religious definitely had something to do with basically creating this irrational anger from happiness within me. Yes, absolutely. So what I would then like to ask is, is this then merely a case of, okay, I just got to reflect on myself more in order to... So basically you're just, you're just doing both sides of the conversation now, right? I am? Yeah. Well, you said this, so should I do that? And then you said this, which I thought meant that. And then, I mean, either you're doing a recap of a conversation that we just had, which is also procrastination and tangents and distractions, or you're trying to have both sides of the conversation, in which case you can have this with a hand, the bald hand puppet and you don't need to be on the show, right? Huh? Well, the reason I said that I was trying to recount what we said already. 
Are you going to listen? You called me. Are you going to listen to anything that I have to say? You called in to ask me for my advice, right? To ask yes. me for feedback. Are you going to listen to anything that I have to say? Well, I have. Uh, no, you haven't. <laughs> Honestly, you really haven't. I haven't? Well, then why did me recounting something, isn't that, isn't that an admission that I heard what you said? That you told me this, you told me that. Isn't that an admission? Yes, I agree with that. Are you, are you okay? So when you're recounting the conversation, are you are you listening to what I'm saying, or are you telling me what the conversation was? I know what the conversation was. I was here. That's really strange. It's really strange. For some reason, <sighs> yeah. So, do you think that was a bit of condescending of me? But I, because I didn't notice that that at all. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I tried, I, if, you, if that felt condescending to you. No, you, you're, bringing not, you're bringing not the content of your procrastination, but the form of your procrastination, right? So you have the capacity to tie conversations up in abstract, abstract knots to the point where people probably just give up with you, right? Uh, okay, let, that... me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How do you feel emotionally at the moment? I feel afraid. Okay, so why don't you tell me that rather than going off on these tangents? Because people have said that is that doesn't tell me anything. My feelings. Do you, do you are, think I don't know that? Do, do you think that I don't know that you're feeling very anxious and nervous at the moment? No. You think I don't know that? Okay, that's fine. I didn't know that you knew how I felt. Okay, but you knew how you felt. Yes. Okay, so instead of telling me how you felt, which was interfering with your capacity to listen, we can't listen when we're anxious. We can't listen when we're afraid. It's like trying to compose music with a saber-toothed tiger in the room, right? You, you're tense. You can't listen when you're tense because when you're, te when you're anxious, then you're afraid of being attacked. When you're afraid of being attacked, you can't be vulnerable. When you can't be vulnerable, you can't be honest. And so what you do is you try to manipulate and control the conversation, which is why giving me both sides of the conversation and going off on tangents and so on is a way of keeping me from getting to the real you, right? So it's me basically shielding myself from actually having, a, having a, a, an actual conversation, but more of an inner monologue. You're just all you're trying to do is control your environment because it's activating activating your fight or flight mechanism, right? So when I start talking about your mom or start talking about hell or start talking about religion, then that makes you feel uh, anxious, uh, or rather, it makes your inner mother feel anxious, and then you try to control the conversation by fogging to the point where I'm going to give up pursuit of the topic, right? That I've never noticed actually, but yes. That is, well, that's... then listen back to this after okay. the call and let me know whether it... Okay, so let's get back to... Did you feel uh, scared or anxious at the beginning of the call? Slightly. When did it increase for you? When I tried to clarify what, you know, uh, to separate... When I, for example, when you talked about punishment and hell, and then I, want, I had this urge to clarify 
that it wasn't really that you didn't talk about burning in hell or being punished. I want when I said, well, it's about separation from God. And then you said, and, and no, wait a minute. Yeah, that was it. When I, when I, when I, because I have this urge to clarify to people, no, 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 wait a minute. It's not exactly that. I, uh, because I yeah, don't, but, want... but, but listen, dude, when did I ever say that your mother threatened that you would burn in hell for eternity? I, I remember you saying that talking about hell, damn it. No, I understand. So you, you wanted to minimize your mother's conversations about hell to me, right? You wanted to defend her and say, look, she wasn't fire and brimstone and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. I was trying to do that. I was trying to say, no, no, no. She wasn't as bad, I guess. Okay. And did I ever indicate that she was that bad? I mean, you were raised religious, which means that uh, your focus was on the the next world, not this world. And uh, you said that your mother quoted the the um, camel eye of the needle thing, right? A mm-hmm. couple of times, right? Yes. So it's not fundamentally dependent on the degree to which your mother talked about hellfire and brimstone. It's simply when you're raised religious, your focus is on the other world, right? Your focus is on the next world, and this world is a distraction from God, right? Uh, yes. You're supposed to reject the things of this world to find God, right? Cast off everything you have, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor to follow me, says Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that you, when you seek success in the material world, feel bad about it sometimes would, I think, the first place, I don't say it's the only place to look, but the first place to look is the degree to which, as a child, your focus was put on the fantasy, on the story, on the fable, on the immateriality at which the material world or with which the material world is at war, right? If you pursue the things of this world, you will lose God. You will lose your mother. You will lose Jesus. You will lose heaven. You will lose virtue, right? Um, to that, I have to say, if are you asking whether or not that is how I felt as a child or that what she said? That is religion. You were raised religious. I don't need your specific experience. Like if you say, if you say, listen, I was raised speaking Gaelic, right? I don't need to know how you learned every word. That's Gaelic. Okay. Right. So, so if you're raised religious, if you are raised religious, then the lure is to the the, the goal of religiosity is to ignore, turn against, transcend be at war with or oppose the things of this world, earthly lusts, earthly pleasures, materialism, rejects those things in hot pursuit of the ghost tale of a fleeing deity, right? Yes. So you're saying that the details do not matter as much. Well, whether for you it was hellfire and brimstone, well, that would make it more difficult in some ways, but it would also make it easier in some ways. Right. So everyone thinks that if the abuse is more overt, 
that that's somehow worse. I don't really believe that to be true. Some of the most damaging abuse I've ever seen among people in my life was the more subtle kind, the cultural religion, the not hellfire and brimstone, but merely separated from God. That crap is really hard to reject. It's like playing baseball where someone pitches you a cloud and saying, well, you know, it's a lot easier to hit a cloud because it's bigger. It's like, it's really not easier to hit a cloud. It's easier to hit a ball or miss a ball, but it's something solid, right? It's something solid. This foggy uh, surround yourself with the ethereal nights of virtue and, and vice, that stuff is really hard to kick out of your head, as I think we're seeing in the call. It's hard to even identify. Like, if your mother had been hellfire and brimstone and setting fire to your bed to scare you with what the devil was going to do to you after death, you'd be like, whoa, fuck this stuff, man. This is crazy shit, right? And you'd run away from it. Or you'd go completely batshit crazy, one of the two, right? But this stuff here is really subtle. It's like normal. It's like, well, it wasn't that bad. And it's like, that kind of makes it worse. Oh, and because you intellectualize and there's defensive points for how you were raised. And there's ways of minimizing what your mom did, which means that you don't have to deal with the feelings that all this fog created. Your mom fogs you about religion. You fog me about your mom. And where do we find reality? <sighs> so the... Your body in religion is your enemy. Your body is your enemy. Uh, But yes, in religion it is. You say in religion like this is somehow not part of what we're talking about. No, I'm saying as in yes, in religion, but not my body is not my enemy in fact, of course. Duh. Yeah, we're not talking about in fact, because if you'd processed all of that, you wouldn't have problems with fears of of anger at, at happiness and procrastination and all that stuff, right? Damn it, I'm so fixated on the damn details. You're right, Stefan. I I constantly have this urge to say, well, but wait a minute, what about this? And oh, well, actually this and also that affected. But then to admit that, yes, my mom was wrong and it was harmful for me. It's such a simple admission, yet it's very, uh, yeah, it's very potent. And you know why this happens? Perhaps because I normalized it. Yeah. Yeah, I will tell you why it happens. And you're right, I think. It happens because one thing that is foundational to procrastination is that you are trapped in a court wherein you can neither convict nor exonerate. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Kind of, if I understood correctly. I say kind of because I don't want to make a mistake. Good, you're listening. Ah, mwah. Beautiful, Ansi. Beautiful. Oh, thank Beautiful. you. No, that's great. Fantastic. See, you weren't leading me off on a tangent. You're saying, tell me more, right? Right. So, to 
we're either going to live a life like our parents or we're not going to live a life like our parents, right? Yes. So, if you're going to live a life like your parents, then you don't even enter the courtroom because there's no crime, right? Mm-hmm. I am walking through the park. There's no crime. So, I never end up in a courtroom. If we're going to live a life fundamentally different from our parents, then we have to go to trial. We have to go to whether you call it the Pink Floyd trial, the Kafka trial, the trial by conscience, but we have to go to trial and we have to bring our parents into court. Because if we have moral differences from our parents, I don't just mean like, my dad was a jazz pianist and I want to play the clarinet or be a, book, a bookkeeper. So, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, if we're fundamentally going to change something, um, like they were religious, I'm not religious. They spanked, I am not going to spank. They yelled, I am not going to yell. They were status, I'm going to be a voluntarist. If you're going to make a fundamental moral break from history, then there is a trial. There must be a trial. Mm-hmm. Because we wouldn't want to make a moral change based upon prejudice, right? Or, well, that bald bastard on the internet's got a really compelling accent, and he's good with a metaphor, so I'm going that way. I mean, that wouldn't be anything that would be philosophical, right? No, it would be incongruous. Yeah, yeah, it would be just what? Wouldn't right. make any sense. So if we are going to make a moral break with the past, and we're going to do the opposite of what our parents did, then there has to be a trial to make sure we are rejecting immorality for the sake of morality, right? Yes. Now, in a trial, for things to be just, for things to be fair, there must be either a confession or a conviction, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is why I say to people who have fundamental moral issues with their parents or whoever, you go and you talk to them about what happened when you were a child, right? Talk, talk, talk. Ask, ask, ask. Object, object, object. Bring your charges to the people you suspect of being criminals, right? Yes. And so if you go to your parents and they're like, shit, you're right, we were terrible, you know, or we did this that was bad, we did that. We did a few things that were good, but, we, you know, man, we blah, 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 right? Then you get a confession, right? Mm-hmm. And so if your parents either were abusive and are no longer abusive or were never that abusive, but there were some problems, then they give you the gift of a confession, right? Because when there's a confession, it's an open and shut case, right? But if they remain abusive, and they were abusive, and they remain abusive, then they will give you um, counter charges, uh, they will um, uh, they will uh, evade, they will avoid, they will, none of this stuff, right? And then you have the extreme difficulty of being, of having to have a trial, right? Again, you don't sort of tie your parents up or whatever, not like Sean Penn or anything, but but you have to have a trial then because you have to convict people of immorality in order to do the opposite of what they did, right? Yes, and... No, go ahead. Yes, oh, yes. And I have talked to them before. And you're telling me this because, what, I mean, I don't mind that you, what, what, go on, and then? 
I have talked to them about before, and religion was the one part that they still evade. But right, so there's no conviction, there's no confession on the religion, right? No. Okay. All right. There is. They have admitted that they should not have left me in the horrible school that I was in, and they should have not left me in such a toxic environment around uh, certain people who were, well, absolutely terrible. They should have switched schools or parent or had me, you know, taught me home or something. They have admitted that that is something that was wrong and they should have done better and they it was on that is their responsibility and that is on them. But the religion part, she still believes that it was a good thing to tell me about these things. All right. So when you don't get a confession, you have to go to trial. And most times you have a trial with an absent defendant, right? Because most parents are not going to show up for a cross-examination, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a few people do. A few parents have called into this show saying, well, we think we're doing things wrong, and I sort of try and give them some perspective that's helpful or whatever. But, but most times, then, you have to convict an empty chair, right? Uh, what do you mean? And that's what philosophy is for. Philosophy is for a conviction when there's no confession and no defendant, right? Um, what do you mean by empty chair? It means that your mom is not going to call into this show and submit to being cross-examined by me or someone, right, in order to get to the truth about what happened with your upbringing with regards to religion, right? Well, more likely, no. So that's the empty chair. I mean, why do we even need moral philosophy? Obviously, it's to guide ourselves. But it's to judge people who admit no fault and will not be cross-examined, right? Okay. Because that's the challenge you have. You, your mother will not confess to religiosity being problematic for children. Mm-hmm. And she also will not uh, be cross-examined, right? Because she hasn't, right? I assume she hasn't, you haven't gone through like a very lengthy process of cross-examining her with regards to her religiosity, right? Not, I wouldn't say, when you use the word lengthy process, no, I haven't gone it lengthy. I have done some, but she hasn't budged. And is that because you're not good at arguing your position? No, it is that when she, when, when I talked about her faith and about how, you know, about religion and raising me and her personal faith, she gets very defensive kind of yes she bails she bails from the she bails from the witness chair right yeah and she says she storms out yeah no no she doesn't storm out oh well okay she if you mean out of the conversation then yes yes yeah i I mean she just says well we're not talking about this or that's enough or whatever right yeah she says that you're you can't take my faith away from me right it's almost right. as if she's scared. And I know, I think I, well, okay, I think I know why also. Go on. Her father was left alone, alone when she was basically, okay, her father had to take care of the family when he was 12, right? Okay. And no parents, absolutely no parents. And she grew, and he, sorry, he grew, my grandfather, that is, grew into a very authoritarian pa- parent. And my mother, instead of looking up to 
you know, a good father figure had very strict, very stringent kind of um, father figure. So what she did was in her faith, she told me how she got into the faith. She basically has the faith as kind of a shield against his abusive father. Who was authoritarian, who was controlling, who was manipulated. And when she got out of the family, she found faith and thought that that was her salvation. Basically. Because now she had a God who was nice and kind instead of a father figure who was uh, who was abusive and evil and manipulative. She had basically she had a father figure that was good father figure. Yeah. Okay. So basically, this is why you can't convict anyone because you're not willing to grant them free will. Like you just described to me, well, this domino fell, and then this domino fell, and this domino fell, and then my mother was religious. But that's just because. One of the re- one of the reasons why she was religious, not that she is exempt from her. No, actions. as soon as you say the reasons why, you're not granting the person free will. Huh? As soon as you say the reason why this person is religious, you are not granting them free will. The reason, not an influence or a temptation or something, right? The it's like me saying. The reason my daughter became a heroin addict is she had a friend who was a heroin addict. Like, her friend was a heroin addict. Naturally, that heroin addiction fell on my daughter and she became a heroin addict, right? So I shouldn't even talk about it then? I shouldn't mention it? Ah, the false dichotomy. (laughs) That's a false... No, I'm not saying it doesn't have any influence, but influences alone cannot explain choices unless you're willing to live in a purely deterministic universe, in which case you wouldn't be calling in for advice, right? Well, not really. Not really. I don't know what that means. As in, you know, if I lived, then yes, I wouldn't. I would probably still call, but I would be a totally different person, of course, if I would be called. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't accept the call if I was just going to be a little ball-bearing, like a little <laughs> snooker ball rolling around your green felt of predetermined activities. But, um, but it's not – I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking about influences – Mm-hmm. But all influences do is change probabilities. They don't determine behavior. So, no, listen. It, it's 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 the old story, right? Of the the twin brothers, and one twin brother, one brother is a drunk, and one brother is a teetotaler. Doesn't touch alcohol at all. And they people say, "Why uh, to to the brother? Why are you a drunk?" And he says, "Because my father was a drunk." It's all I knew. It's genetic. It's how I grew up. He gave me my first drink when I was 12, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm a drunk. You go to the twin who's not a drunk, who doesn't touch alcohol, and you say, why don't you touch alcohol? He's like, oh, man, my father was a drunk. I saw what terrible things alcohol does to a human being. I may have a genetic susceptibility, so I don't touch it, right? Dr. Phil's father was a complete drunk, and he doesn't touch the stuff. Yeah. So tell me how the drinking produces both twins. Well, you're asking me? It's a rhetorical question. Okay. You can't because there's a choice involved there. Your father is not, your mother is not religious because humana, 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 right? Like a, she was a cog in a machine of history. Uh, your yes. mother is religious because she preferred religion to the alternative. Because religion was easier and she chose that. Like, for every smoker, why are they a smoker? 
because every cigarette is easier for them in the short run than quitting, right? Okay. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So, yeah. So don't tell me that your mother was, I say, your mother is religious because, right? You cannot convict when there's determinism. It's like, it's like a rock bouncing down a hill, landing in your car, and you take it to court for damaging your car, and you demand restitution from the rock. That would be the actions of a crazy person, right? Um, yes. So if your mother is religious because her father and the authoritarian, well, then there's no conviction because she had no choice. She's not responsible for her actions, right? So what we should then say, if we are rational and follow reason, is that it may have affected her, you know, in some way, but ultimately she is responsible for her actions because of free will. It may have had an effect, but it's not, it's not an excuse. Never, ever. Yeah, I mean, effect is, I mean, obviously, look, I, I understand that there are effects. I've got the whole bomb in the brain series on YouTube so that there's effects. Mm-hmm. But if we wish to change, we must convict. And if there is determinism, we cannot convict. <sighs> mm. And so I can tell you how to convict your mom. And I don't mean this like then she's in jail forever. You can't see. I mean, I just mean in your mind to come to resolution about this. And it only takes about two minutes. Okay. All right. And would you like me to do it? Well, yes. If this is. (laughs) Yes and no, right? Yeah, well, the reason I say if, and again, see, see again, I, I stutter because I'm afraid that if I say the word if, you're going to go, ooh, I asked you a simple question, and yes or no answer, and then blah, 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 blah. Anyway, yes, I would, but I was wondering also, for the you know sake of everybody else, do you think that if there are any other issues regarding this uh, anger from happiness thing, I should you know just leave that for another day and just focus on the religion aspect for now? Because oh, I, don't I wanna... think we'll just talk about this part because uh, I think I've given you a, a, an important framework. Yes. Okay. On how to um, on how to, to to work with these issues, but look, when it comes to uh, religion, I will tell you uh, just a brief story about when I was in my twenties. Um, I was doing a master's program in history, and I did my whole thesis on the history of philosophy at the University of Toronto. And there was a woman I liked in the course. She was um, very smart, very funny, uh, great writer. And um, unfortunately, she was religious and uh, a Christian. Anyway, so we, we never actually dated, but I, you know, I was interested. And we talked about the possibility. She knew I was an atheist. Talked about the possibility of a relationship. And she said to me, Stefan... I'm religious, you're not. That's fine. It's the same with my parents. My father is not religious, and he sleeps in on Sundays. And my wife, uh, sorry, my mother goes to church. My mom goes to church, my father sleeps in. It's, um, it's fine, right? So that was her offer, right? Yeah. And I said, um, well, that's interesting, I... <laughs> 
I appreciate that I'm sexy enough for you to cast me into the pit of everlasting damnation. But if we have kids, then the kids cannot be taught religion as if it's true uh, while they're children. Mm-hmm. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, look, I cannot teach a child atheism when they're very young. And you cannot teach a child religion very young. I can teach a child how to think. And I think in teaching a child how to think, they will arrive at rational and, by definition, universal and objective conclusions, right? And children do not have the capacity to think independently of their parents. Uh, children are natural conformists because anti-conformity genes throughout history would not have lasted, right? Because they would have offended the tribal elders or whatever, right? And so as a parent, you simply don't have the right to teach things you cannot prove as if they are true. I agree. You do not have the right to teach things as if they are true to children. And I said, look, if, if, if I'm not equating the two, but if I were a racist and I didn't have, I mean, obviously a racist by definition has no good reasons for uh, his or her bigoted opinions. I couldn't teach my child that my racism was true without any proof, right? Yes. Like if I say, well, black people generally have darker skins than white people, that's not racism, right? Black people have curlier hair and narrower hips and (laughs) live less long. And right, this is not racist. This is um, biology, right? And so, but if I said um, uh, all Chinese people are thieves, well, that would be racist. And I would not, if I can't prove it, I don't have the right to inflict it as truth on a child because a child does not have the capacity to think independently and threaten the bond of the parent by disagreeing about metaphysical things about reality, about very foundational things. Yeah, the child is reliant on you to be... The child is completely dependent. Yes. It's completely dependent. You know, when you, when you kidnap someone and they become dependent upon you and you indoctrinate them, that's fucking called brainwashing. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what terrorist gangs like the Bada Meinhof gang do. This is what happened to Patty Hearst. I mean, this is the Stockholm Syndrome. When people are dependent upon you for food and shelter and can't leave, and you indoctrinate them, that's called brainwashing. Right? You don't have independence as a child. You can't sit there and say, well, I'm afraid I disagree, Mother. I think I'll be feeding, finding my own sustenance and shelter from here on in because I really wouldn't want to put my uh, skepticism upon Children don't do that. They're like, you okay? Okay? Is this how I get food? Oh, yeah, okay. I got to go to church? Yeah, okay, fine. Gets me food, right? Gets shelter? Yeah, okay. Keeps the wolves outside the firelight? Good. Okay. Okay. Children are prisoners. And you can't possibly indoctrinate someone who is, you can't, sorry, indoctrinate is begging the question. You can't possibly inflict irrational absolutes on someone who is completely dependent upon you as a human being and not call it brainwashing. 
You did not have the opportunity as a child to say to your mother, you're wrong. Hell, you don't even have that capacity as an adult, right? Uh, I... What? Sorry. I... And have her listen, right? Sorry, the... sorry, Stefan. Hold on. Okay. Can you can you hear me now? Can... Because the voice went kind of. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. So, what did you say again? You, as a child, did not have the capacity to say to your mother, Mom, you are wrong about God. There's no evidence. And you told me not to believe in things that aren't true. You told me not to obey other people just because they're bigger than me. You told me not to go along with the herd, not to go along with the crowd. So I'm afraid I have to put my foot down. You're telling me all these things you can't prove. Where's heaven? Where's the proof for heaven? Where's hell? Where's the proof for hell? Where's God? Where's the proof for God? Where's the proof for all these miracles? Why are the miracles only where the cell phone cameras are never there? Right? You mm. Tell me, you've got to prove this to me or I have to reject it completely and I have to kind of call you a little bit crazy, right? I did not have the capacity to do that as a child. Yes, obviously. And you can't even do that as an adult because she just shuts down the conversation, right? Uh, yes, she does shut down. Right. Now, you can afford that as an adult. You couldn't afford that risk as a child. Right? I'm not saying your mom would have abandoned you or anything, but genetically, we're just not programmed to take that risk, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when, especially when, as you said, it's the softer, it's the softer, quote-unquote softer, one that can be even more toxic, as you mentioned. Well, imagine if I say, if I say to my daughter, uh, Isabella, th and this is not, I'm not saying this is my beliefs or, or that I would put it this way, but if I just said to my daughter, Isabella, the government is evil. And if you dare to question me about this, I'm going to be really angry. And if you question me too much, I will not be in your life forever. Would she really have the choice? to question and reject me? Uh, uh. No. So if your mother says, this is virtue, this is goodness, obeying these words, these books, these principles, these, uh, this faith, this, this superstition is virtue, and if you reject it, we will be separated forever in the future. I mean, a child doesn't get after death. A child gets what? I'll be separated from mommy forever. That is the worst thing. That's a death sentence for a child, biologically, right? So if I were to do that to my child, that, that, that would be incredibly abusive. Yes. And I just realized another thing about that, actually. If you don't mind me adding then. No, go ahead. You know how you sometimes talked about that if a child is left in daycare at a certain age, certain children, they feel abandonment from the parents. Parental abandonment. They experience the same. They experience the same. Technically, they experience the same symptoms as children who are abandoned by their parents or yes. their mothers. That did exactly happen to me. And I remember when I was older and I was struggling with religion, I felt the same thing when I was left in daycare by my mom for the first time. So the you felt the same thing in terms of maternal abandonment. Yes, when I struggled with religion when I was older.
kind of finally came to atheism. Well, okay, before I came to atheism. Yeah. Because then I it's really like, tough to compete with Jesus the boyfriend. Oh, or yeah. Jesus the husband or Jesus the daddy. You can't. You you simply can't. I mean, what I wanted to say to this this woman many years ago was Jesus doesn't have a dick. Right? He can hang on your wall, and I guess you can get those creepy eyeballs that follow you everywhere. But Jesus is a dickless ghost non-hugger. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus can't hold your hand. You know, he can't kiss your boobs. You know, he can't whisper sweet nothing into your ear. He's not a very good break dancer. Okay, well, that's, I guess, fairly equal then when it comes to skill sets. But, um, you know, he's perfect because he ain't real. You know, Jesus never farts. You know, he never just leans over at 30 degrees and cracks one on a leather chair to the point where it sounds like the earth is about to open you up, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus, don't fart in the bath, right? Jesus, don't burp. He doesn't have bad breath. He doesn't get toothaches. Jesus is he's perfect. Can't You can't fuck him, but he can't do any wrong. Mm. Yeah, and of course, along with all the usual other sticks of he will always be there he for you, he always cares, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, it's like Jesus loves you, but never at an angle. <laughs> you know, Jesus comes with the holy book, but it ain't the Kama Sutra. <laughs> yeah. Jesus loves you, but not in a way you can film and put on a webcam for money. Mm-hmm. And so uh, th- this immateriality uh, is, um, to me, extremely dangerous. This is, yeah, Jesus can't take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> take the wheel. Ah! Okay, right? you're on a roll, Steph. <laughs> um, maybe Jesus took the wheel on that first Malaysian plane that went somewhere, right? Oh, God. But, no, it's, it's um, you know, <laughs> Jesus can love you, but he can't hook your stilettos into your hoop earrings and go to town, right? I mean, he just, he's, he's perfect. You, can, you can't compete with that. You can only compete with that because you've got, you know, twigs and berries, you know, uh, trousers, snakes, and castanets hanging there a- able to do something useful. Jesus loves you, but he can't make you come. Uh. Uh. Oh boy! And so I just so I want to point out, like so, so you again. I'm sort of not trying to jam all these hypersexual images into your no. It's actually good, space it's good for showtime. you, but but you can't uh, you can't uh, you can't compete. Well, she said, "Don't take away my faith." Don't bring merely mortal concerns to my dreams of perfection, right? Don't make me afraid, she says sometimes after that. Right. Right. And I got with this, with this woman. See, why do religions hate sex? Because people don't come from Jesus. People come from fucking, right? Duh. Right? And, and the, the sweaty, sexy, lusty, fantastic... Uh, mind-blowing sex that produces people is pretty far from, you know, like wounded, self-pitying, passive-aggressive guy on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, God breathes life and, you know, it's all clean and, oh, the clay goddess springs up with a fig leaf on her hoo-hoo. 
And where do we come from? We come from humping and squirting and growing and coming out of a woman's hoo-hoo that is really like an express train coming through a straw. I mean, it is really not uh, a very uh, elevated and spiritual way to come into existence. Look, I just fell out of your mother's vagina. I'm covered in blood. I have a freaky-ass blue tube that you think should be inflated by some deity and turned me into a Thanksgiving Day Macy's Parade icon from hell. Now, Steph. It's uh, terrifying. Yeah. They were like, when I, my daughter was born, they were like, you need to cut the cable. I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> you need to cut the cord. I'm like, I really don't. There's just too much reality here for me. You're just lucky I'm still standing up, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, th- but that's how we come into being. And we shit green for the first two days. And, you know, we can fart so hard through a diaper, we can hit the wall with crap, right? Yeah. And so... So this is how human beings come into being. And we are exquisitely vulnerable to to diseases and and to to bad lifestyle choices and bad health and all of that 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 arises out of all of that stuff. But this is one of the reasons why the body is, you know, if, if God is so great at making people, then why does a woman have to shit a watermelon in order for there to be a human being in the world? Couldn't she come up with anything better? Yeah. It's like, oh, I'd really like a new nap. I'd really like a new laptop. Let me pull one out from my nipple region, or let me cough one up through my esophagus. It's like I'm pretty sure that we can come up with a better manufacturing device for these things than, you know, pulling a server out of your ass. Okay, I think. So anyway. blo- okay, Steph, actually, I think you blow negative holes into the Bible at this point. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and of course now, then she would say, well, yeah, that that stuff doesn't make sense. <laughs> that other all that other stuff doesn't make sense that, that we already know that doesn't make sense but this the fate itself that makes sense Ugh. yeah but also I yeah want... and that, that's but that's why that's why that's why so much sexual dysfunction is associated with religiosity right mm-hmm. so um hello yes go ahead yeah the thing that I also wanted to mention regarding this is you notice how I've, and I've noticed how I've been stuttering and being kind of quote unquote afraid during this conversation and how, how I've been kind of, you know, kind of trying to kind of maneuver very safely around stuff instead of just directly saying X. Well, it's because the most referenced passage in the Bible that my mother, you know, always kept on telling more to me was turn the other cheek. You know, be humble, be kind to others. But if yourself, you, if you yourself feel bad about something, well, try to basically make a compromise between you and that person. Okay, my happiness is okay so long as you can find a solution with all, which also basically makes that other person feel good. That doesn't hurt harm hurt their quote unquote feelings in the long run. And of course, that was nowhere near near as true with the case of my mother. Because it was, quote unquote, her feelings in the end that were being basically, you know, catered to when I was being good religious boy. Right. Turn the other cheek. Right. Mm. Sorry, I'm still floating around dick jokes. Like if Uh, if Jesus had a dick, uh, turn the other cheek would be uh, (laughs) bow, 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 bow. Spare the rod. But um, yeah. the, the, turn the other cheek is is uh, let me have my own beliefs, right? 
Um, for your mom, right? Is that right? For for my mom, it was more like if I was bullied in school, try to make that bully into a better person. <laughs> yeah. I was the one right. who was supposed to, you know, change that person. Through love. Yes, through love, basically. Be kind, right. be gentle, be humble to that person. Instead of going away from the damn place, which was riddled with these other kids who had even... Well, I wouldn't shouldn't say even more horrendous parents, but still, as <laughs> at very least, as horrendous, or even well, more more horrendous, I should say. Right. Uh, I guess that is. And also... what, what does that mean? So, okay, so your mom said, "Turn the other cheek," right? Yes. And uh, the corollary verses are, um, you know, if a man asks for your jacket, give him your shirt too. If your enemy asks you to walk a mile with him, walk two miles with him and so on, right? Yeah. Like the ultimate passive-aggressive religious fuck you to all the evildoers. Well, we have to remember too, and this is a point out in Nietzsche, is that Christianity was, uh, took root in, in the slaves, right? Took root among the slaves. Now, yeah. all slaves, slaves don't get aggression. They only get passive aggression, right? Which is why the meek shall inherit the earth. And, and uh, whatever Jesus' teachings were, I think they were heavily distorted by needing to be molded into that which would appeal uh, to slaves, right? So uh, slaves were subject to an eye for an eye, uh, but they could only enact to turn the other cheek, right? So if you can't fight back, hey, let's make pacifism a virtue, right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. going to appeal. To people yeah. who can't fight back, right? Yeah. But of course, if turning the other cheek, sorry, if turning the other cheek is a is is virtuous, then God is evil, right? Because God sure as hell doesn't turn the other cheek, right? I mean, he mm, he drowns the whole world. He he sends people to hell, and right. So, yeah. uh, if if turn the other cheek is a virtue, then God is evil, right? Yeah. And obviously, my mom ignored all those passages, <laughs> every single one of. Them. Right. So what it means, of course, is that um, it means one of two things. It means either your mother was in a position with an authority figure where she had to submit and then she uh, needed to make that submission of virtue or she, yeah, and needed, right? I mean, that was the temptation, right? Hopefully we outgrow these things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, we're talking influences, not determinants, but um, uh, or she needed to teach you turn the other cheek as a down payment on the forgiveness that she was going to demand unjustly later on in life for what she did to you? Knowingly or unknowingly. Or does what does it, it matter? matter? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, okay, I mean, I mean first sorry. of all, you, you can never answer that question. Uh, to answer okay. that question re- would require a time machine and psychic ability. No, no, I thought you asked that of me, you know, <laughs> as in, did you know or did you, didn't you? Sorry, I completely yeah the motives of of the motives of people when we were kids i mean it it doesn't i mean what could it possibly matter in its effect on me and how could we possibly ever know right so the first thing if you're going to convict people of wrongdoing in your life you have to have a standard that the wrongdoing can be known now intention versus non-intention can't be known what do parents so often say later when confronted by adult kids we did the best we could with the knowledge we had at the time that is not a defense because that cannot be possibly proven or established in any way shape or form yeah obviously right how how, how can it's 100 percent 
that they did the very best they could uh, at the time. I mean, that's just something you say. You know, I, I might not study for a math test. Do I then get an A because I just did the very best I could with the knowledge I had at the time? I mean, who? it doesn't mean anything. And, and who could... So it's just like, please stop making noise and, and answer some real questions, right? But don't just say stuff, you know? I mean, I, so as far as intentions go, nobody, nobody knows. And, and this is why influences too. Because if you want to find an influence, then you have an influence that produces behavior, then you have to find, well, 100% of people who go through this become X, right? And other than death and food for worms, I can't think of any. So what we are doing, so for example, what we are doing right now isn't the same as finding, you know, quote unquote, influences, why I think, but rather trying to understand how I think, or why do I think that, or how do I, why do I no, think? No, we don't need, look, we don't need any of that to convict your mom. Hmm. Well, right? So, no, hang on, see, so, so listen, listen. Yes. To convict your mom is very easy. To convict your mom is, oh, mom, you don't like me questioning your beliefs, you don't like me imposing my beliefs upon you, you don't like me hmm. making you feel unhappy because of my insistence on my beliefs. Is that what happens for her? Sorry? I'm See, so, did you, what did you not hear of that? Damn it. So I didn't hear. I, so you said, uh, did you say that? Ah, damn it. I'll probably repeat again. Sorry. Probably easier. Wait, I didn't hear that. All right. Can you pretend to be your mom? Oh, God. <laughs> well, yes, I can. Okay. Mom. When I tell you, uh, when I bring to you arguments for atheism, you get quite upset because you don't like me um, in, infringing on your belief system. You say, leave me with my faith. Don't take my faith away from me. In other words, you have beliefs that are very important to you that you don't want me imposing on. Is that right? She would probably say that's different. <laughs> Well, different. No, no. I'm asking you a, a question. Oh. There's no comparison yet. Okay. Like what I'm saying is that your experience? I did experience that. Yes. Okay. So the principle is that imposing your beliefs on other people is not good, right? Oh, it's not a principle, but it's an opinion. That's what she would again say. Okay, so imposing your opinions on other people is not good. No, it's not good. Okay, good. So an opinion is something that you believe but cannot prove, right? Mm -hmm. Or cannot be proved, right? Yes. Okay, so imposing things which you cannot prove on other people is wrong. Can I, sorry, Stefan, I'm confused. Should I say, then she would say X or something like that? No, just be her. Okay, well, um, but that's different because we got to take care of our child's safety and that's imposing stuff on him. No, we're talking about opinions, right? Is it your opinion that fire is hot? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's your opinion. So fire is not actually hot. <laughs> 
most people's opinions determine, and then she would shut up and realize that, not realize that she's wrong, but probably go, oh, damn. But realize she's talking like an insane human being. Yeah, and say, like what? Fire is hot because we believe it's hot. Jesus. Christ. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the that's the uh, 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 blue skin. Yeah. So at some point, she would have to say fire is hot, right? Because. I mean, a thermometer is not subject to people's opinions, yet also mysteriously registers fire as being pretty fucking hot, as does infrared, as does, you know, the fact that you can hold a candle over it and it melts, which it doesn't do when you hold it over an icicle. At some point, she's going to have to admit that there's an objective truth called fire is hot. Are we, are we okay with that? Yes. And they'd say, not compared to the sun. <laughs> yeah, and she doesn't but, basically um, want to say that same thing, thing applies with her me teaching me really about religion and you know of course she doesn't of course she doesn't of course she doesn't i get that of course she doesn't she's going to say no that's a revealed truth and this and that and the other right yeah and that is good for you and somehow then objectivity subject objectivity is not as valid some right 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 no so she's going to say that she did not perceive it as an opinion right yeah right so if she did not perceive it as an opinion, the question is, how does she know, right? In other words, um, there are 10,000 gods across the world. Every single person who believes in each one of those gods believes that they're absolutely true, but they can't all be true, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are going to teach your child something, then you, to be responsible, you need to give the counter arguments as well, right? And you need to study the matter, right? You wouldn't hire someone to teach your child mathematics who had no idea what mathematics was, right? Well, yes. And, and you can't claim to know something unless you know the arguments against it, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're just a bigot. And all you've heard is the arguments for and never the arguments against, in which case you don't know the thing at all, right? Yeah, and again... Whenever that comes up, she basically gets very kind of anxious when I mention, you know, arguments against, say, well, you know, there really was no exodus, blah, 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 all those historical accounts about exodus are not really correct and so on. For example, right, for example, she gets really anxious because then she would have to admit, yes, there, we can objectively say something out of the Bible is definitely not true. Yeah, show me a fucking koala in the Bible and I'm pretty impressed, right? But strangely enough, the only animals in the Bible, despite its dictation by omniscience, the only animals in the Bible are those within 300 square miles of a fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. So Isn't that just, weird? So she's just procrastinating away from the truth. Well, of course, now we're back to procrastination, which is part of your habit, right? You've imbibed these habits from your mom. So basically, if you can't prove something, but you inflict it on other people, that's bad. In which case, she has to accept... That the reason, like, I would say to her, I would say, look, mom, you're feeling anxious about this now. You're feeling upset about this now, right? So there's two things about that that are really important. One, you have indulged this. In other words, you have avoided positions contrary to yours because they make you feel anxious, right? That does not give you the right to teach anything. If you avoid counter-information, you have no right to teach people. Right. So you were not the right person to teach me about religion. Secondly, that feeling that you have about anxiety with an opinion that is disturbing to you, that was me as a child. That was me as a child. 
when you were talking about ghosts and angels and devils and hell and absence from God and, and people being nailed to crosses because I was born with original sin or whatever crazy shit was being talked about. That's how I felt as a child. A study just came out that said that children who were instructed on religious stories, like as true, right, they have a, a significant inability to distinguish fact from fiction in stories. Of course. I mean, that's, you know, in other news, water is wet, right? But it is, it is bewildering and harmful for children to be told uh, terrible and real ghost stories and burning stories or alienation from God and parent stories and, and Jesus died for your sins stories and, and Noah's Ark stories and God drowned the world because he was pissed off at some people and sadly that included a lot of babies in the womb and yet he's really against abortion. Like it's, 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 it's harmful and difficult and dangerous for children, which is why children all over the world like different video games, but children of religious households all grew up with the same religion because there's so much threat involved, right? So it is wrong. It is wrong to, to impose that which you cannot prove on a child. And it is wrong to impose that which you can prove on a child if you don't give them the proof, if you don't teach them how to prove things first. My day with my daughter is as much as possible how to think, right? Mm -hmm. Is this true? Is this not true? How would you know? What's the difference, right? How do you know that door is open, right? How do you know that toad is not going to grow into an eagle, right? How do you know? What are the patterns, right? Mm. Because my purpose is not to teach you the conclusions, just as it is in this show. My purpose is not to give you a conclusion. My purpose is to give you some critical thinking tools to explore and examine the issue without being lost in the fog of history. Mm. <sighs> so it was wrong for your mother to manage her own anxiety by inflicting her doctrines on you. And it would be equally wrong for me to do that with my daughter, even if all my doctrines were provable. And if I inflicted the conclusions on her without teaching her how to think, that would be an action of religiosity on my part. Now, it wouldn't be as damaging because I wouldn't be telling her about hell and demons and, and ghosts and Jesus and blood and crosses and shit like that. But it would be wrong because I would not be teaching her how to think. Teaching someone what to think, teaching a child what to think rather than how to think is like doing their homework for them. They see the answer, but they learn nothing. So basically give the child fish constantly, but never tell them how to fish. Well, the problem is how to fish is a principle, and a fish is an answer. So you've okay. kind of got that backwards. Teach Sorry. the child how to fish, don't give them fish, right? Mm. Wait, did we just get... Yeah, you no, know, I think you're right. Sorry, I think I just got that completely backwards. Oops. Yeah, you don't just keep shoveling fish at the kid, you teach them how to fish, right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Listen, we got to get on to another caller, but I, you know, I hope that, that that's helpful. Um, yeah. Really, really focus on the conviction. You know, uh, it's very easy to convict people, which is one of the reasons why it's so baffling to me that these courts are not constantly in session. If we want to grow as human beings, we have to put the court of parental opinion, religious opinion, cultural opinion. We need to put every opinion in the court of reason and just hammer until we get through to the truth. And yeah. um, the fog uh, helps no one but the guilty. Yeah, I think this this is definitely a good start, and definitely thank you, Stefan, for helping me. I guess help myself, really. Well, thank you for your patience at the beginning of the conversation, I, and I appreciate you bringing the honesty of your procrastination in such a vivid way. But uh, thank you very much, and let us know how it goes uh, if you can. I certainly want to get a follow up yeah. if we and can. This will definitely and thanks, uh, Hans. Yeah.
Yeah. Okay. Bye. All right. Take care, Mike. Who do we have next? All right. Up next is Polly. Polly wrote in and said, I just had a decade plus intimate relationship explode. In your experience, what has been the success rate of two people coming together in a mutual exploration of each other's histories, repairing or recovering from that together? Is there damage that is irreparable? Uh, this is a yes-no question, right, Polly? Just yes-no, we move on to the next caller? <laughs> well, yeah, that's <laughs> really Hi, hi sir. Look, I know, I know how much women are just into yes-no answers. No further exploration, no... I'm just kidding. Oh, bullshit. How are you doing? Uh, uh, I want to clarify, it's a mutual exploitation, not exploration. Oh, right, right. Okay. Okay. So um, maybe a, a bit of, um, we, we met, um, for those who don't know, Polly and I met in Vancouver. Yes. And um, uh, this was what, two years ago? Two years ago. Uh-huh. Two years ago. Yeah, I was there for a conference and we had uh, with uh, some other listeners, I had a very nice uh, dinner and, and conversation and all that. So, um, so yeah, um, what, uh, this was a, a pretty recent breakup, right? Two months ago. Yes. Right. So, um, what did you do to the poor man? I mean, he sounds perfect, but no, I'm just kidding. So what, what happened over? <laughs> well, um, without going into a hour long story, I mean, essentially I met him when I was 18 and, um, he was 10 years older than me. And one of the first things that my dad said to him when my dad met him was, oh, so you're the one who's fucking my daughter. No, oh, ah, that was your dad, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. So my dad, which I would have said right now. No, right. Eight minutes ago in the car. <laughs> Someone. Badly. <laughs> so, so right there, I mean, this is the, the situation where uh, my ex, he, he didn't, he kind of laughed, you know, he didn't say anything. He never brought it up to me again. And I was still so mired in the, the illusion of my family that I didn't get how, I mean, it was uncomfortable. I didn't enjoy that. But so we dated for a year or so. And then my dad was so controlling and awful um, he basically said, you either have to marry this guy or we're going to start shoveling all your shit out in the front yard. Well, of course, this guy didn't want to marry me. And uh, it's a good thing at that point, obviously, that he didn't. And so we split well, up. He, he, may, he may have really wanted to marry you. He just may not want to, your father coming along on the honeymoon giving tips. But anyway. Yeah, well, uh, anyway, so... Um, we split up and then 13 years apart and then I moved uh, far away. I cut off my entire family except for my little sister. And I was, I struggled with a lot of depression. Um, and then I came back to the West Coast and I reconnected with my mother, unfortunately, for a while. And I got back together with this man. And it I, like I said, I struggled with depression. I was, on I was on antidepressants for about seven years. And I really started having a lot of suspicion about the efficacy of them. And I just have always been skeptical about a lot of things. And I decided to get off of them and went through some pretty bad uh, experiences with a relative who claimed to be a spiritual healer. 
uh, but I did get off the meds. And then I discovered your podcasts in 2011. And that's when I really, I used to be one of those people that, that thought, yeah, yeah, kids, you know, you got to grab them by the ear and yank them around because they don't listen. And, and when I heard your arguments for non-aggression toward children, it was like a ton of bricks hit me on the head. And I, <laughs> that's I, a very, that's a, that's a very aggressive metaphor <laughs> for peaceful parenting. Peaceful parenting was like being hit with the belt of reason. Repeat. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, good point. So I really started thinking a lot about what happened to me as a child. And I started to feel I've always had a lot of rage. And I'm pretty good at suppressing it because I have good willpower. And I also have enough of, a, I guess, an observing ego to recognize that there are consequences. So if I wanted to bash someone's head in, I recognize that, well, that wasn't going to be very pretty for me afterwards. So I wouldn't. Instead, I journaled a lot about that stuff. So I'd write about what I wanted to do to people. And so the rage really started to come out when I began exploring the, uh, the consequences of my parents' actions toward me and how that related to my current life. And I'm, I probably listened to, uh, I don't know, nonstop. Like I load up my phone and just listen to hundreds and hundreds of your podcasts. By the way, I became a donator like three minutes after I heard that video of yours. But um, Thank you. So the more I started to grow and the more I wanted to question my own history and I, things fell apart with my mom. And I think that made him really uncomfortable because he hated his mother, but he still kissed her ass. And then, then, so this is like from 2011 until now, and then in the last um, eight months, well, year, I guess, it got to the point where we were in couples therapy, and he never indicated that he was wanting out of the relationship, but I, I brought honesty to my relationship with my little sister. She has a child that was born a year ago that I took care of every week for six hours, twice a week. So like 10 to 12 hours a week. And when I brought honesty to that relationship and that relationship fell apart. With your sister, you mean? Yes. I'm sorry about that. Thanks. Then I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I really think that it just made him freaked out. He couldn't, and I started to really, I really appreciate how how specific you are in your communication when you are talking with callers and they say something and you ask for clarification or a clearer understanding of actually what the definition is that they're saying. I started to do that with my ex. Uh, he would say something to me and I would ask for clarification or want to know more. Well, like what? What? Uh, well, well well, here's an example of sort of sarcasm. Like I would be expressing something about how I feel and he'd say, listen to yourself. And I would say, okay, let's see. I have ears, so I am able to hear myself. What exactly is it that I'm saying that is bringing up, uh, making you say a comment to me like that?
Yeah, that's just so people know. Listen to yourself is a phrase that is designed to stimulate your critical alter ego. In other words, it's supposed to take you out of your body and have you observe yourself critically um, so that you don't remain rooted and continue in whatever is causing the other person's stress or anxiety. Right. So I, I started learning tools like being able to, because with my history, it's been extremely difficult to recognize what I want or need, or even to recognize that I'm angry or hurt about something. For, for example, one time we were standing around talking with a friend of his, and he, um, they were commenting about how I looked, and he said something about my breasts. And I was, in the moment, I was kind of like, uh, whoa. And then it wasn't until, like, in the middle of the night that I was just completely enraged that he would say something like that. But what did he say, if you don't mind me asking? Um, something about... I, I had, I'd lost weight, and so they were saying that I looked pretty good, and, and my ex said something like, yeah, and her boobs still look good, or something like that. <laughs> her boobs still look good. I mean, check out the background on my phone. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I don't know. I just, it felt... That's kind of personal, yeah. I felt like, okay, you could tell me that alone, but not in front of your college buddy. Right. Just especially because my dad was, my dad really sexualized everything. So I'm pretty sensitive to that. Right, right. Um, so anyway, now I've sort of lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Well, so you had problems with your sister. This sort of freaked him out uh, right. quite a bit. And then you yes. began to, I guess, maybe listening to enough of these shows where and people are constantly trying to insinuate things like that woman who called in a month or two ago who was like, you set yourself up as some kind of expert. It's like, I what now? Right. <laughs> What's that? Even? I don't even know what that means other than it's an insult. Right. Uh, and it's automatically accusing me of manipulation. And, and, you know, it speaks nothing to the truth of any of my arguments. Right. Um, so uh, so you started trying to get him to clarify his terms. Like he'd say, just listen to yourself. And it'd be like, I actually physically can't talk without listening to myself like if you ever see deaf people they right. really have to work hard if they can't hear themselves so if you can understand me that automatically tells you that i am in fact able to listen to myself now if i sound like this it's going to be difficult right <laughs> the people have a tougher time but then then that might be an indication that i've somehow lost the ability to hear myself right. if i don't sound like that and please there's no insult to deaf people i can't imagine how hard it is to do that it's an amazing achievement but Basically, basically, people who can hear are usually pretty comprehensible. So if you can understand. So you, know, so you started being more direct and not taking this manipulation. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and then what happened? So, so then uh, we, we were actually going to buy a house together. And he, he actually proposed marriage to me last August. And I accepted. And um, I, I thought, like for so many years, I thought, well... If I just present this argument, if I have him listen to this podcast, if I get him to read this book, if I if I can just phrase it in such a way, he'll get it, finally. <laughs> yeah, because we have this fact, I'm susceptible to reason and evidence. So right. other people must be susceptible to reason and evidence. <laughs> it's like, no, that doesn't follow. You have the empiricism, not the absolutes, right? Right, 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 right. And so... At the last minute, right before 
the the inspection, his very wealthy stepfather called and urged him to have me sign papers that the down payment wasn't mine. And I was really offended by that, and he couldn't understand why I was offended. And then the next day, he came home and told me, he verbally attacked me, essentially. He, he said, um, I, not only are we not buying the house, but I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't like you. I've never liked you. And the only reason oh. the only reason I asked you to marry me is because uh, you bullied me into it. Oh and, God. And he said, You're so judgmental. You point your finger at everybody as and, and everything is black and white to you. I mean, like even your mother Ah, he didn't. He yeah. didn't Yeah. He didn't literally say everything yes. is black and white to you, which is the ultimate black and white statement. Right. Not a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff is black and white to you. Everything. Did he actually say, did he have, like, is yeah. he that insane? Yeah. Everything is black and white. Because that's the ultimate black and white statement, right? Yeah, see, you're right. And I really appreciate you saying that because sometimes I have to think about this stuff for a while to recognize that. Uh, and I was only going to marry you because you bullied me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, he is saying something true, though. Ooh. I, 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 hold your thought. I, I, he's saying something true. You know when you said he kisses his mom's ass? Do you know what I first thought? What? That he's he waiting kiss- on a payout, baby. He's looking for an inheritance. Yes, and then you he, say you're he, rich stepdad. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay. So he's bought as yeah. an offspring. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he, he told me. And this is where, okay. So, hmm. Uh, <laughs> Here I am spending 10 years, and of course, I'm stuck in this fucking uh, swamp of, okay, I tried to convince my dad over and over and over uh, that I was worth listening to. And so I recreated that, I think, with this guy. But I, I I, I wanted to, I wanted us to both, recover to heal together and i'm i think that's i don't know maybe it's impossible but and i i realized that yes i was not empirical his act impossible impossible young lady were you listening to the last call yes please give him the gift of free will that we may hang him high you're right yes that's true you're right so my ex could have made a choice, and he did not. Okay. Uh, I just, like, a, first, I mean, again, well, I know we're not done, right? But, but in terms of the story, I'm incredibly sorry that this guy saw fit to run you through with these verbal javelins, because that shit leaves a mark, right? I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, that, especially... That is horrible. That is horrible stuff, you know? I mean, it's one thing to catch a fish and throw it back, but it's another thing to catch the fish, you know, slap a cherry bomb on it, blow it up, and then throw bits of it back in the lake. Yeah, and that's um, not and the I'm worst. Really I mean, sorry. My, sorry, go ahead. My my parents murdered my pets, and that was probably one of the most traumatic events of my life. And my mother and my father participated in this. And uh, when I when he said, "Yeah, you 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 call people evil." And I said, like your mom. And I said, really? So somebody who buries my kittens alive 
that's not evil. And he said, I fucking hate that story. I'm looking forward to never having to hear that fucking story ever again. So, oh, does he does he find it difficult to hear about kittens being buried alive? Apparently. Yeah, I mean, actually having your kittens buried alive apparently is not that tough. What's really tough is hearing about it. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Polly, Polly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've forgotten that story. Um, that's uh, horrendous stuff. And, of course, the reason why the story, the story came up again is because he hadn't processed any of it, right? And the funny thing is, is that, you know, people who... Mm, I'm trying to go on a rant. I'll keep this short, I promise. People who talk about, well, you can't call people evil. It's like, okay, so we need to dismantle the entire criminal justice system then, right? Right. Because what your parents did would get their asses thrown in jail. Right. And if we don't have a moral standard for throwing anyone in jail, then, my God, your least the least problem that you have in the whole universe if you believe that no one is evil is my black and white thinking because I haven't actually... You've got to go drop everything and go campaign for the end of the entire criminal justice system and the entire prison system. No police, no convictions, no nothing because nobody's evil. But if my parents do the kind of shit that gets your ass thrown in jail, yes, I think I'm allowed to call them evil. Right. Yeah. I'm really passionate about that. I feel... I mean, here's an interesting thing. I, I've i had an unbelievably vivid dreams for a long time, like lots and lots of nightmares about my family of origin. Uh, my dad trying to kill me, uh, my mom and my siblings, all of them just really... I would wake up and feel just smashed. And so I would be kind of quiet in the morning, and he, he would say something like, how'd you sleep? I'd say, oh, I had bad dreams again. And he'd go, oh, God, was I in them? And he, he was. Oh, like, excellent. So he immediately made it about him. Right. Oh, what a narcissistic prince you might have dodged. I know. I think you're right. I, I'm sure you're right. I, I know you're right. Well, and the dreams are, you know, the abuse is coming from inside the house. The abuse is coming from inside the house. The calls are coming from inside the house. Run! Right. And because a lot of the dreams were uh, were not just my family of origin, but he was in them being mean to me, and it was really disturbing. And I can't tell you how many podcasts I listened to you, to where you were talking about relationships and, and standards and, and um, abuse, and my heart would sink. I would think, oh, oh, no. Oh, God. This is, this is, <laughs> this is my... I better not call in. Oh, no. I actually wanted to. I tried to get him to, but he wouldn't, of course. He's like, no way. I'm not I'm not doing that. Um, the, the scary thing is that he was really good at saying the right things. Like, really pretending. And I, I... There was such a huge part of me that wanted to believe that. Instead of really looking at his actions... So I guess, like, that's the other part of my question. I mean, it's just... Uh, okay, but look, the the relationship 101 is, you, you know, it, we all have had people who've harmed us in our life to various degrees. You know, you're, I've seen your adverse childhood experience score. It's off the charts. So I'm obviously, as I've said before, incredibly sorry right. about your experience as a child. But 
Love 101 is, hey, honey, what do you think of the people who really harmed me? Right, right. Right. That's Love 101. Some people really harmed me. What do you think of them? I like them. Yeah, that's right. right. I think they're fine. I think you're judgmental. I think you use terrible medieval terms like evil, and that's bad. It's like, wait, you just said I was bad for using the word evil? So my judgment of evil people is worse than the, the evil people did to me. Right. Blah! Right? Then it's yeah. just like, it's like dick be gone, the spray, you know, like right. <laughs> corrosive as it needs to be, right? So, so, so that's when, when you're vulnerable with people uh, and you say, listen, there's some people who've really harmed me and you are clear, right? You know, it was, you know, you understand, people understand their response to how, like their response to people who've harmed you is very telling, very, very telling. Yeah. I, and uh, sorry, sorry, just, just so you sort of understand this, right? So, you know, my daughter's expressed some desire to see my mother, right? right. I can understand that. She's curious and she's got such a wonderful mom that, you know, it's hard to know. And I said, well, but if somebody had done you a lot of harm, you know, if they'd push you down a slide, if they'd hit you or whatever, would you want, like, how would you feel if I said, let's go to their house, right? Yeah. She'd like, oh, I'd feel terrible, right? I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, and I'm not, I said, I'm not blaming you, of course, right? You don't know the full history and I've only told her, told her better details. But I said, that's sort of where it is for me at the moment. You haven't done anything wrong. It makes perfect sense that you'd express a desire to see my mother. You'd be curious about it. But... You know, she did me a lot of harm. And that's hard for you to process because you don't see the effects of that harm. And you have such a wonderful mom. And everyone you know who's a mom is so wonderful and all that. But there are different moms out there. I had one. And uh, so that's why. Right. And and she gets it. And she hasn't talked about that. I mean, again, we're going to talk about it more when she gets older. Sure. But um, And I didn't bring up my mom with her. She was asking uh, me. And, you know, I don't want to lie to her. But at the same time, sort of age-appropriate stuff. But how people respond to those who've harmed you is a, one of the most revealing things. And it, it really, moral judgments are destiny. Let me be really clear about this. People are not kidding. They're not fooling around. They're not saying stuff. It's not, you know, they are deadly serious when they tell you about their moral thoughts. They are deadly serious. Moral commitments are a train track. They lead you to heaven or to hell. Mm -hmm. You have a choice in your moral commitments and you have a choice in your willingness to think or not to think. You do not have a choice where your willingness to think or not think will lead you. You have a choice to look at a compass when you're lost or a GPS or a map. You do not have the choice to control what happens if you choose the wrong thing. You, you can choose to smoke or not. You cannot choose whether smoking is good for you or bad for you. Right. So... And... Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. I've, I've, oh, I don't want to... I, um, so I guess, like, for me, I, I was this... I was a person who thought that children should be spanked. I mean, I, it's not like I advocated it, and I obviously... I chose not to ever have children... Because I always thought, well, one, I thought it was the most important job you could ever have in your life, so you better freaking well be prepared for it. And I never felt prepared. And I also had a miserable childhood, so I thought, I'm not, I'm not bringing a child into this world to suffer what I had to suffer, without realizing that that didn't have to be the case. But um, 
I, I changed my mind. So how long do you give somebody to change their mind? I mean, can you well, recognize... No, no, no. It's, it's, first of all, sorry. Change. First of all, changing your mind is not a binary process, right? Okay. Right. Philosophy is not, well, I'm going this way. I'm just going to turn around and go the other way, right? Uh -huh. Philosophy is, well, the seas are stormy. The, the, seas are stormy. Uh -huh. the uh, stars are invisible. The clouds are everywhere. And it's a moonless night. I got to sail the sea. Do I get a map and a compass, right? There's no, like, it's just a matter of navigation, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's no such thing as, well, this person's a bad person. Then they changed their mind and they became a good person, right? It really is just a sense of, well... People are lost without values. They're lost without philosophy. And you give them a GPS. Right. And they look at that GPS and they say, oh, fuck that. That leads me into some difficult territory. That leads me into some emotionally uncomfortable things. This GPS puts me on a path that puts me in conflict with other people in my life. So then you say, GPS is bullshit and you throw it in the ocean, right? Uh-huh. Or you say, well, I don't know, it seems kind of weird. I guess this thing has some value to it. Let me give it a shot, right? And then some people will go a certain distance, and then they will stop, right? Right. A lot of people get into philosophy until they get something that they want in life. And then they'll give up on philosophy after that. Huh. Right? It's sort of like um, people who train to be Olympic athletes, right? When they stop being Olympic athletes, they stop training. Right. That much, right? And so for a lot of people, philosophy is like, oh, cool, I got some medal. I got that job I wanted. I got married. I got bad people out of my life. Woo, I'm done, right? Mm. I got my medal. To hell with the rest of it, right? And, and, but philosophy is not something that gets you a prize and then you give up on it, right? Right. Philosophy is just a lifelong process of continuing to bring wisdom and truth and reason and evidence to yourself and if you have so inclined to as many people around you as you want to. Right. And so the idea is like, I just have to get him to change his mind. I just have to get him to reverse direction. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, when you first heard these podcasts in 2011, right. how many did you have to listen to to be convinced that there was some value in philosophy? Oh, I, I saw, um, well, as Jeff Berwick posted your video, uh, The Story of Your Enslavement, and I watched it like 12 times, and then I said, who is this guy? I have to find out who this guy is. And then I set up a, an account to donate, and I, I mean, it was like right then, I have to know more about this is amazing. Okay, so you I mean, were ready for it, and you were primed for it, and... You just started imbibing it. So you were exposed to philosophy. And I'm not obviously saying that, that this is the, the only philosophy, the only valuable philosophy. But this is the philosophy you were exposed to. And you were like, whoa, I didn't even know I was thirsty. I'm going to drink a lake, right? Right. Yeah. But your boyfriend was also exposed to philosophy through you, right? With right. somebody who was already blazing the trail, with somebody who'd already showed the positive effects, with somebody who was always already reaping the rewards, right? And so he was exposed with more support to exactly the same information that you were exposed to, right? Right. And um, what did he do? Our first, people's first reactions are almost always their destiny.
their final destination. Almost always. It doesn't mean 100%. I get a few emails from people who were like, oh, this, this was like the most annoying, terrible thing in the world. Because, and then they like, well, but I kept listening. I gritted my teeth and then I finally got it. And, you know, whatever. This is great. I mean, I get, Mike, how often do you get those? I get maybe one or two a year. It's uh, not too often. <laughs> Hardly ever. So how many do you get a year? Uh, one, I think, that I can recall. Okay, so I don't know. Um, off the top of my head, um, I don't know what we're doing. A uh, couple of million shows a month, so let's just say... Between 3.5 and 4, conservatively. Okay, between, uh, that's just from our mm-hmm. side, not counting the radio. Yep not counting other people's shows, not counting Joe Rogan's websites and, and uh, the Zeitgeisters. And, I mean, so just, you know, a couple million. So let's just say a million people knew a year, right? I mean, that's hugely conservative. But out of a million people, new listeners a year, one or two have a recoil, stick with it, and get the value. Mm-hmm. So... I would not hang a lot of egg fertility future expiration dates on one in a million, particularly when they're not sticking with it. Because the only people who write to us and say, I hated this stuff, then I listened and I, it's the people who kept listening, right? Right. Right. Yeah, it, it was weird because he, he would say that it was really interesting and he, he liked it. And he would even say to me, oh, do you have, a, do you have any Steph? Let's put Steph on in the car. And... Uh, he would, he would claim to like it, but but then he, often it was like then he would attack me later, right, by saying, "You're so intense, you're heavy all the time. Why can't you lighten up?" Uh, so oh, so he 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 really wasn't so good with the thinking part, right? Right. Intense. Yeah. What does that mean? Am I'm, I a laser? Are you moonlight? What does this even mean? You're intense. You're heavy. <laughs> well, yes, gravity works on me as well, although fortunately not my boobs. But what does that even mean? Right. I mean, you're heavy, intense, and not lighty enough fee. And it's like, yes, and you're pretty. So not so much with the talking, pretty boy. Well, and and I, I as I... Please tell me he was pretty. Um... Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I have a friend who doesn't think so. And I mean, he wasn't ugly, but he wasn't particularly, you know, like a handsome guy. I don't know. So, wait. <laughs> for 10 years, you, you, you met put him. out for dumb and ugly? You, you met him. Did I? Yeah, he took our photograph. Oh, of course. I didn't put two and two together. Ten years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, So, yeah, he's like average, I guess. Yeah. And old. Yeah. Ten years older than me. Yeah, I mean, I feel safe talking about him because I'm a continent away and he can't hear me anymore out of one bad ear. He won't be listening. I guarantee you he won't be listening. He actually said when he walked out on me, he said, you're going down the path of philosophy and reason and logic, and I don't want to go down that path. I want to be dumb and silly. So I Is could, that what he said? Yeah. I can grant him his wish. 
<laughs> it's magic. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it couldn't be more clear to me than that. I just, part of me was angry that, like, why did it take him so long to tell me that? But he did tell oh, me. Oh, 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 no, he, no. I know. You're not putting on him. Oh, no. Oh, no. You didn't just say, but why did it take him 10 years to tell me he was shallow Steph, and dumb? Steph, I caught myself. I said. Okay, okay, good. Said, good, good. But actually, he did tell me by his Oh, action. hang on, hang on a sec. Uh, my, my rant, because you caught yourself, my rant is now exiting my body with a little serrated <laughs> sore through my spleen. So hang on a sec. scampering across the floor and heading for John yeah. Hurt's face. Anyway. No, I, I I got all the signals I needed from day one. I just chose not to listen to them. And why? Because oh, I have, I, I think because I have these parts that are just so freaking strong that uh, want me to step in for some more uh, some more bashing. And the word strong, the word strong that you're using there may not be something that you and I use it. I have parts of me that are so strong, they demand masochism to fools. Yeah. Hmm. Strong. But, well, what would, would be a better word? Do you think that's strength? Not in a good way. Okay. So how is strength in a bad way? Well, if you're really strong and you punch somebody's face, that's strength in a bad way. But no, he's punching your face. I know. Oh, so it's strong if you, like, if you go and get, like, tattoos on your eyeballs or something that's incredibly painful and self-destructive, it's strong if you grit your teeth and go through it. Um, well, I think what I meant was uh, I have parts of myself that overpower uh rationality or or the ability to to take action that would be better for me and so you mean parent parts right yeah i would yeah i would imagine so i mean it's interesting now sorry go ahead it's been two months and literally for about a week to 10 days after he left i had some really vivid dreams where he was in them and now Almost all of my bad dreams have gone away, except my mom contacted me in the last couple of days. And so I had a couple of dreams uh, about her and some family stuff. But for the most part, I all my bad dreams have gone away. Right. Right. Okay. I'm still not sure why you stayed in there for 10 years. I'm, I, I mean, know. so, okay, so maybe he was like... Your dad in some ways, right? And your dad didn't listen and all that. Did you have like, uh, if I if I break up, my parents will be proven right kind of thing? Um, I, I felt, I, I think I had a knowingness that my ex would turn into who he really is, which is he doesn't care at all. And now I've had to hire an attorney. Uh, we built a house together and... He's basically one. He he closed the joint savings account and took all of it, and is not wanting to split. Stole everything. your money? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, and he's claiming it's not mine. 
Oh my God! Even though, under what possession is nine tenths of the law defense? Well, I mean, it's sort of a little bit complicated, but um, basically, I viewed everything as ours. I mean, I earned decent money, and so I was proud to be able to cover most of the household expenses out of my salary. So I viewed a lot of his income and as well, would we'll leave that in savings. Oh, so you paid more of the bills so he was able to save more, and then he's saying, well, that's my money now, right? Yep, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. And why? So so you were also paying for him? Um, yeah. Um, oh, oh, no. Why are you pausing there? Is this news to you? Well, <clears throat> it, it varied because he, he had uh, a wealthy family, so... He, he was put on as a member of an LLC, which received distributions, So, but they were erratic. So there were times in the winter, he was a house painter, where he didn't have much work. So yeah, it was my salary that paid all the bills. He, he was a house painter? Uh-huh. Do you mean like, like Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel creating glorious works of art? Or do you mean like... No. It's, like, a, it's one color from end to end. Well, yeah, it's like the, what color do you want your fascia board and your deck railings and your siding? Oh, Lord. Oh, Polly. Oh, what are you doing? I know. I know. I mean, couldn't he be like a hot, broke drummer or something? Oh, he was a drummer, Steph, but he was... Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, not a successful one. No, no, listen. You don't understand. A lot of drummers only make it big in their 50s. Like, a lot of people don't understand that. It's It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. But by the time you can barely hear anymore, you're good to go. Okay. Well, good. Good for him. He can do that by himself now. What? I mean, seriously. <laughs> oh, my, I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. No. Bad host. Bad host. It's very. What, what do you think his IQ was here? Okay. How long had he been a house painter? For 20-some years. Ah! Oh, no. But here's what happens, right? He's I, like the blob. Anyway, sorry, go on. Here's what happens. I I did not finish high school, but I, I, I love to learn. I mean, I just devour stuff. So I'm self-educated. And... Did he have abs? Mm, at one time, but not. I'm no, the one. Wait, I'm the when one you met him when you abs. were 18, he might have had abs, right? Yeah, we all had abs at 18. Yeah. I, I'm the one with abs, actually. But he, I really got into fitness, and he, he didn't want to do that even. But um, so- I'm sorry. Do you mind if I'm, you know, I know you're just complaining about shallow guys, but do you mind if I just mention something about your appearance? Oh, God. Okay, go ahead. No, if you don't want me to, I won't. I just no. I think it's wrong. It's, it's okay. fine. This woman is gorgeous. Oh, my God. No, you are. You, I mean, you're gorgeous. Thanks, Steph. And I just wanted to mention that. So, gorgeous woman, self-educated, self-starter, making good money with mouth-breathing house painter who is frightened of philosophy. And he actually told him, he said he was afraid of me. Right. And right. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where uh, I work for a private investor who went to Harvard and Stanford, 
and we've talked a lot about education and he he's always he's very sweet and he constantly will give me articles about how formal education isn't all it's cracked up to be and i've studied austrian economics under his tutelage actually for a few years and read tons of material so he jokes about me having a phd in economics but there's still a deep seated it's less now i'm working on it but there's still kind of a deep seated I, I don't measure up to everybody else. No, no, but but Polly, I mean, I think it. I mean, I think I can understand that gap. I mean, because um, I mean, it's true that you've been studying Austrian Austrian economics and and philosophy and self knowledge and history and all that, and listen to what I think is one of the smartest shows in the world, which is this one. But what's tragically been missing from ed education is how to put tape against like a baseboard, so that. <laughs> Right. Right. No, because I mean, that I mean, Austrian economics knocked that off in a long weekend, like taking tape, pulling the tape and then like putting it against stuff oh, yeah. and then taking stuff and putting it on walls. So, yeah. So, see, he had, that's tough. He had a bachelor's degree in fine arts. So he 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 was articulate and he could say the right things but he didn't he didn't do them and i have i have fear about fully expressing myself and my what my capabilities are and and so i felt oh i need to give him the benefit of the doubt too it it's okay to have fear about really exercising your full potential because i'm do you know what's another do you know what's another kind of parasite polly what a tapeworm anyway <laughs> <laughs> just popped into my head. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna call him that now. The table. Oh. oh. No, I mean, I I generally feel that most things that you can tape to a monkey's hand and have them do it are probably not a fit occupation for anybody of any intelligence, right? Yeah. Although I would say, I mean, oh well, he's. He's intelligent, but that doesn't mean he can think. Oh no, no, I get it. No, look, if if you have if you don't have wisdom, you get cunning, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're just superficially like language based smart, um, or you know a zeitgeister, then you 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 get cunning instead of knowledge, instead of facts, right? And you learn to manipulate words and people instead of humbly learn about the facts of reality and reason, right? Which he was so. really, he was really good at that. He always told me, uh, we don't have to get married. We're as good as married. I mean, we built a house together. I'm totally committed to you. I hate marriage. Marriage is stupid. And then he's talking to his gay brother. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Okay. Because I, I, I want to make sure I know when you're paraphrasing. Okay. What's his argument? Oog hate marriage. Marriage, stupid. It, was that like, I hate marriage, marriage is stupid? Yeah. So, paintbrush go up, paintbrush go down. It's not stupid. Marriage is dumb. Eh, frighten, Oog. Oog, yes. frighten. Mar ring. Ring, where ring come from? Where <laughs> ring go? Don't know. Paintbrush go on wall. Color change. Oog, happy. Money. Take steel. Oog, marriage. Involve buildings. Buildings that I might want to paint. Ooh, ah. I mean, my God. I mean, this is, this, oh my, are you serious? 
Yes, and I'm so embarrassed. Um, so, yes. Oog's perspective, strangely <laughs> truncated. <laughs> so, so here's what he would do to, to placate. So he's talking to his gay brother on the phone, and an initi- initiative passed in our state that allows gay marriage. So he's talking to his brother and telling him how wonderful marriage is, and marriage is so great, and and it's so wonderful. And he got off the phone, and I just, I was flabbergasted. I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm confused. How do I know when you're blowing smoke up my ass or when you're telling me the truth? But Polly. Which is it? Polly, no, Ook speak with two faces? I know. And then he said. Whatever face necessary, Ook make. And then he said, you're fucking crazy. And then. Who said you're fucking crazy? Yeah. Who said that? My ex said that to me. So at least he elevated the discussion to you're fucking crazy. Right. But see, this. I think that's. I think that's. Right. I, I can't believe that. I. I don't know. I don't know who you're insulting at this point. I just feel like this. This no, is like I, shooting an arrow. You're like shooting an arrow up into the sky, saying, "Got the cloud." It's like, hey, what's coming down? Ah, right. I know, and this is this is the thing. So I put up with this, and what? Why? No, no, no! You didn't put up with it. Why? No, I put up with taxes. I don't bang the tax man. Okay. So. What? You had sex with this. You lived with this. You paid for this. I know. Why? I mean, like, oh. I don't know. I can imagine your walls were pretty. Oh, God. Maybe, maybe like, like wax on, wax off gives you great kung fu. Maybe paint up, paint down makes people expert with a clitoris. I have no idea. I mean, there had to be some reason. No, it didn't. We, we had sex like once a month. Ah! I had I that wasn't was, even me that was my there was, scary there was like anyway there was sexual abuse in my history so I I wanted oh, right. to work through some stuff around that and uh it so that was difficult um yeah I I feel it's hard not to self-attack actually to feel pretty uh, idiotic about having spent that's a lot of years I can never get back Right. And, and of course, you know, I mean, you're not even halfway done your life. The purpose, of course, is to try to prevent recurrence, right? Yeah. And I feel at this point, I feel pretty strongly that this will never happen to me again based on... Why? No, Polly, here's the question. Why you no call the Steph bot? When? Earlier? Like years ago? Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Why you no call the Steph bot? Because I knew that you would tell me the truth, which was, you better get the fuck out of there as fast as you possibly can. Oh, oh, (laughs) that's not my truth. How many times have I told people to leave relationships? Uh, Zero. Well, it's actually once in... uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I should rephrase that. You would ask me questions which would elicit the response in my own mind that that would be the wisest thing I could do. This is not a guy I think that's worth being close to unless you are in fact a wall. I think you're right. So why, I mean, so, so, I mean, saying you didn't call me because you didn't want to hear what I have to say is kind of tautological, right? 
I was afraid. I was really afraid of that, what? That uh, financially, I I wasn't sure. Especially four or five years ago, even I wasn't sure how I would make it. I'm not. I don't have anything to do. I'm not close with my family. My family's not financially able to help anyway. So it, it felt like. I was. I felt like I was trapped. And okay, um, I, I'm. I'm not a mathematician, but you were talking about four or five years ago, right? Yeah. You found the show 2011. It is now 2014. Yeah. Hang on. Are the two? Let me just take my shoes off here. No. That would be three years ago. So I think it's wonderful that you're telling me why you didn't call me before you knew me. True. But if you could, you know. <laughs> If you could perhaps talk about the time after you had found the show, yeah. um, that would be helpful. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I was afraid of how defensive parts of myself would be about hearing difficult truths. And, and then what happens is I... I I hear something, I know it's true, and then I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? I have to do something. Yeah. And So, go ahead. Uh, f financially, well, based on my, my uh, education, too, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs, and ha so my income has gone up and down from a lot of money to hardly anything. And throughout this time, I've always had horses, and they are like my kids. I mean, I will work. All right, I have to. Uh, I have to stop you. Okay. I'm, I apologize. Okay. It's like volume one story time to distract Steph from the real question. Okay. <laughs> I have horses. That's why I couldn't call you. My income went up and down. That's why I couldn't call you. Okay. I mean, you're paying for a guy who stole your money, and you're telling me there's some financial reason you couldn't call me. Yeah, the only so, thing I... The, <laughs> you have reduced me to growling. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm oog. <laughs> All right. That's not good. I will tell you why you didn't okay. want to call me or why you didn't call me. Okay. All right. You desperately wanted to call me. Yes. Who in your life did not want you to call me? My ex. Uh-huh. You said that you, earlier you said, um, based on your history, it makes complete sense. You said that um, you don't even know sometimes that you have needs in relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and look, I get this. I, like, I mean... My childhood was rough, not quite as rough as yours, but I think it was only in my, like, late 20s, maybe, where I sort of said, you know what, I, I should actually have a couple of needs in these relationships, <laughs> you know, like I, right. you know, I, I should, I should, I should have some preferences. And that was really a, quite a life changing situation. You know, I mean, the, the degree of, the degree to which we surfs are trained out of preferences is, is chilling you know it's like our souls are just evacuated and replaced with giant levers only operable mm -hmm. by assholes but um but my concern is that compliance is your challenge right 
because in your primary relationships, which is almost like taking the relationship, the word relationship and taking a deep shit on it. But your primary relationships were all about conforming out of terror and abuse to the needs of other people, right? Right. And so your boyfriend did not want you to call the show, right? You said, hey, let's call together, which would have been fun. Right. No, because I would have spoken to you and I would have, I don't know, sent cave paintings to him or something that he could, (laughs) you know, follow along, like a see, spot, manipulate good people kind of thing. Um, A pop-up book of some kind, um, which would be like a stooges poke to the eyeballs. But anyway, so... So so my concern is like, so if you've not identified, I think, what I think is the pattern, which is that you comply with the lowest common denominator around you, which we all do. Like, don't get me wrong. This is why it's so important to choose your tribe wisely. Right. We conform to the tribe. We are social animals. Mm-hmm. You know, we are dogs, not cats. Right. Or horses, if you like. <laughs> they run in herds, right? Yes. So uh, you will conform to the lowest common denominator of whoever is around you which is why you can't have a lowest common denominator. You can't say, I'm going to have 10 great people to my dinner party and one loudmouth farting drunk who calls everyone a fucking asshole and throws a beer bottle uh, at the wall, right? Right. And then paints it. Um, Because you're going to have a shitty dinner party if there's one asshole there, right? Right. So you can't have like, dum-da-dum, great people, I'll dip my standards hugely and then dumpty dum great people, right? We will always conform and comply to the lowest common denominator around me, which is why I don't allow people of low quality around me. I just don't because and it's not, I mean, sometimes I'd like to. Yeah. Because, you know, it seems like a kind of an effort keeping the giant <laughs> containment mothership of, of security yeah. in my life. Right. But I, I just I know that if because I was raised compliant to crazy, I can't do crazy. I can't be around crazy. I can't, I can't do it. Right. You know, like when they say once an addict, always an addict. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it's the same thing. Like I think um, the toxic twins from Aerosmith, uh-huh. um, Steve Tyler and Joe Perry, uh-huh. you know, basically snorted most of Peru up their nose in the 70s and so on. Like for, for the, when they got clean, like they couldn't be around anything. Right. Drugs, drinking, anything. Like, you know, cough syrup. They just hacked their lungs out instead, right? For like 20 or 25 years. I think that Tyler now says he can maybe have a beer. A, a beer after like decades. Right. That right? makes so complete sense to me. You, so this is, this is really important. If you've been raised in compliance to crazy, mm-hmm. you can't have crazy people around you. Right. You can't have people around you who might be crazy at some point in the future. That's literally like, imagine if I said I was a heroin addict for 20 years, Uh from 15 to the age of 35. Now, I'm going to go and move in with someone who is a raging heroin addict and doesn't want to quit, but talks about maybe going to some meetings at some point in the future. What would people say? You're crazy. You're setting yourself up for total failure. So, based on that information, I I look back and think, okay, so if I had been able to realize that, which I think I did on some level, what do you just just say to somebody, you know what, I've been thinking, and uh, you're 
you're not good for me, so let's split up. I mean, that's why I was curious about your relationship of seven years. I mean, when you were doing a lot of therapy and growth and journaling, how how did it, I mean, it's just difficult for me to understand when two people come together out of complete and total dysfunction and one person realizes, yes, this is not good, things need to be different, and the other person is pretty clearly saying, I like that how it was, what do you do? Uh, I just, I just missed that last, the last part of the last question. I, I got it, but I didn't quite get it. If you can just repeat it. So when one person's growing, the other person's not. Yeah. When, when one, what person, do you do? Yeah. How, how is it? How is that resolved? Like, but I think, I mean, what, your, what, I mean, I don't understand what the question is. Well, I mean, your, I don't understand how that's a question. One person is growing and another person is steadfastly resisting that growth and opposing it and insulting that person for growing. Right. I mean, to ask that question is to answer it, isn't it? Right. So he, he's the one who blew up. the. He left. But I hadn't yet made that choice to say, okay, we're, we're done. Right. Because you, so, you, you can't have people like that in your life at all, in my opinion. No, I can't. In fact, So once they're in there, then the, that's the why you can't have them in your life. Right, it's like the heroin addict can't go around hanging around with people who are doing massive amounts of heroin right there in front of him, and he can't go to opiate dens, and he can't right mm -hmm. join up with gangs to break into pharmacies and say, "Well, no, no, I'm going to stay clean. I'm just going to hang around this whole heroin environment." Right. Right. So this is what, like, the fact that you were ten years in uh -huh. should you should give you the necessary humility to say, "I can't manage crazy people." Right. Which, and do you know why you can't manage crazy people? Because I was raised by crazy people. That's half of it. The other half, Polly, is nobody can. Oh. Nobody can manage crazy people. Uh. It's like saying, who can manage a rampant heroin addict? What's the answer? Well, certainly other heroin addicts can't. That's one half of the answer. The other half is that nobody can. Now, maybe if they crash and they're whatever, right? But no. While someone is committed to an addiction, uh -huh. they cannot be helped. Yeah. Right, therapists, you show up to a therapy session <clears throat> drunk, most therapists will say, go home, I can't treat you while you're drunk. Oh, yeah. Well, our couple, he was, a, he was an alcoholic too. Ha! Ah, how embarrassing oh, no. to admit that. But so, and our couple... Well, of course he was an alcoholic. I mean, you can't paint walls for 20 years sober. I know, Right. So, I, mean, I think I'd rather work my tit muscles and be a garbage compactor like Wally. Right. Anyway. Right. So, so you, you like, um, irrationality uh -huh. is an addiction. Right. Right. It, it is to me, and I, you know, I don't have any science for this, so please accept this as, as rampant theory. Uh -huh. But to me, I think that irrationality is a self-destructive addiction uh -huh. that at some point will be shown to be biochemically okay, very okay. similar. Wait, if so not indistinguishable to other addictions like like nicotine, like alcohol, like like uh, opiates, uh, like gambling, like sexuality, and so on. Let Let me understand. Are you suggesting that I'm addicted to irrationality? I want to understand. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm not saying that you're addicted to irrationality. What I'm saying is that 
you were born addicted. Okay. Right, you know, like you know, if if um, if the mom takes certain drugs that are highly addictive, uh-huh. particularly illegal drugs, right, then the baby is drawn and actually goes through withdrawal symptoms because the baby is being cut off from the supply of that drug through the mother, right? Right. Okay. So you were born addicted, uh-huh. and then you spent the first I don't know twenty years of your life in a crazy household, right? Right. Right. So you were born addicted, let's just say you were, your mom was a heroin addict, and then you were given heroin for the first 20 years of your life mm-hmm. with every meal. Uh-huh. So now you can't be around heroin addicts. I, I see. And no one, no one can fix a heroin addict, to my knowledge, unless that person is willing to change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think now your your boyfriend with regards to this show, it's like him being a heroin addict sitting down and watching the TV show Intervention where people get together and intervene mm-hmm. and thinking it's entertaining and funny and enjoyable, right? Right. It has nothing to do with him. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at irrationality as an addiction, mm-hmm. which is inflicted uh, uh, through the paternal um, environment. Mm-hmm. And is sustained throughout the social environment, and it particularly manifests in the romantic environment. If you look at irrationality as an addiction, then I think your behavior becomes clear. Your assignment, the boxer, is I'm going to manage and fix irrationality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, that makes sense. I can save them. I can do it. Because yeah. I still want to self-abuse right. for what my parents did. Because it was my fault. I should have saved them. I should have fixed them. I needed to find whatever lockpicking voodoo spells and chicken entrails was needed to open the secret box of rationality that is buried in the heart of every crazy person, right? Right. Because you can't get a conviction in your court. Explain, except explain on yourself. That. Oh, so in the first call, yeah, in the first call, I was talking about how philosophy allows us to gain convictions for evil people without right. a confession and without even the witness being present. Right. I heard that. I would just say, I mean, I have so much, uh, I mean, I have nothing to do with my father or my mother, or any of my siblings, not, none whatsoever. No, no, but this guy was your methadone. Yeah, okay. I see. Right. So he's he's like so, so those who don't know, methadone is a drug that's used to transition, I think, of heroin. Right. It's okay. less toxic and right. Yeah, you're so right. So this guy okay. was your methadone. He's right. less abusive than your parents. Right. But hopefully right. still right. So he's less crazy, obviously, and less nasty than your parents. He's not burying your kitties, which I can't even imagine. He's not burying your kitties alive. Right. But he's got no sympathy for your kitties being buried alive. Right. So he's better. He's your transitional out of sure. addiction object, right? Now, it could have been a little faster, perhaps, but... Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But, um, but this is what I really need you to get, and this is what I want everyone to get. You cannot fix someone you're screwing. You cannot fix someone you're romantically involved with. You cannot fix someone you're sleeping with. Mm-hmm. You cannot fix someone you're living with. I mean, wouldn't you say you can't fix anyone, period? Well, I mean, this, this is a technical question. 
which is um, if I didn't think anyone could be helped, I wouldn't be doing this show, right? Correct. So, uh, you know, can I fix someone? Well, technically, no, of course, right? I can only make a case. Right. I can only put a perspective and make an argument and apply principles, right? Correct. So, no, I can't fix anyone, but that doesn't mean no one can be helped, right? I mean, no one can stop uh, anybody else from, if they want, eating a Twinkie or having a beer or whatever, right? Right. You can't... Uh, you can't physically and permanently stop someone, but th- does that mean no one can help any? You know, right? No, I, I see what you're saying. But I don't call people up randomly and inflict this conversation, right? I am the receiver of callers, right? And if somebody says to me, you know, basically, you know, Steph, fuck you, you crazy bastard, uh, I want to have nothing to do with your conversation. It's like, yeah, okay, then let me switch to someone who will, right? Right. Okay. Well, the good news is I have an excellent therapist and I am learning a lot more about not engaging. I'm recognizing when I start to want to engage with crazy people uh, and to convince them, like I start stacking up the arguments in my mind about whatever it might be, usually about aggression toward children. And now, um, I'm more likely to say, okay, I don't need to engage with that. No, but you, no, 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 this is what I'm trying to, you're still talking about your needs like you're an I, like you're an island, like it's just your needs. This is what I really need to, to draw your focus to, Polly, which is that you really have to question the degree to which your needs are the other person's needs. Because with crazy people, one of the things that crazy and irrational people are incredibly good at doing mm-hmm. is making their needs feel like your needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, crazy, irrational people really, really, really want sane people to engage with them. Right. Do you, do you get why, right? Um, kind of on a visceral level, I can't verbalize it, though. I think there are two main reasons. One is that they get to not feel crazy. Right. Well, but and- the second and, and more sinister level is that then, if, the, if a crazy person can get you to interact with him, uh-huh. then they can claim a massive and visceral victory of irrational over rational. Yeah. They win because they are in control of the situation. They get to make rationality impotent and themselves in charge. Right. Or as my daughter would say, crazy would be the in charge one. <laughs> <laughs> We don't want that. Right. But, but this is, is so essential. Uh, uh, every perspective wishes to feel dominant in the world. Religious people want to feel dominant in the world. Right. Democrats want to feel dominant in the world. Republicans and totalitarians and communists and irrational people wish to be dominant over the world. 
which means dominant over people. Irrational people can conquer nothing of reality. The only thing they can do is infect the human mind. That is their only reality. That is the only efficacy they're capable of is control of people. Mm-hmm. Because the world can't be irrational. Only people can be irrational. So if you're crazy, the only thing that you have, the only shot you have at power and efficacy and control, back to the story of your enslavement, is domination over other people. Mm-hmm. Because you can't wish reality into irrationality, but you can manipulate people into irrationality. Mm-hmm. And so all perspectives maintain themselves through a sense of power, through a sense of efficacy. If tomorrow morning nobody in the world enabled crazy people, mm-hmm. crazy would stop by mid-afternoon. Uh. To, the, to the degree that it was physically possible if people weren't just completely bad shit, right? Yeah. And so every perspective seeks power and domination in the world. And the degree to which it it, gets it is the degree to which it maintains and grows. Uh Right? All Christians wish everyone was a Christian. All Muslims wish everyone was a Christian, a a Muslim, right? Right. And so crazy people need you to engage with them because then crazy has power. Crazy has control. Crazy can make people do stuff. Right. Crazy turns you from a human being into a livestock squirting milk into the big bucket of madness known as mankind. Mm. And so if you refuse to engage with crazy, Mm -hmm. if you refuse to engage with the irrational, their weakness, their dependence, their what Rand used to call their social metaphysics, their reality based upon other people's thoughts, Mm -hmm. takes a huge blow. Right? Like, I mean, we've had a standing policy... For years on this show, if you've got a criticism of me, you get to the front of the line. We're booking months ahead for these call-in shows. If you have a criticism of me, everybody goes to the side. You get front and center. Right. First up, right. every show. Sure. How many people call in? Not very many. No, we get like maybe one every couple of months. And then they, they have no argument. Right. <laughs> right. So why don't... I mean, why don't they want to come and show me how strong they are? Why don't, I mean, they're all tough talkers on the internet. Why don't they want to call me up and just show me how powerful they are? I would say because they know they're not. Right, because I reveal to them the weakness of their parasitical position that they are manipulators rather than creators. Right. They are users rather than creators, right? Right. They are controllers rather than thinkers. Yes. They are bullies rather than artists. Mm-hmm. So nobody, I mean, I mean, the guy who talks tough, who finally, oh, I, I, could, I could beat up Mike Tyson, I could do it. And Mike Tyson says, hey, you know, I'll fly you, come into the ring, man, we'll film it. Right. Oh, right. Bullshitters don't want to be revealed as bullshitters, which is why they preach their grisly little choirs in their dank corners of the internet and don't ever want to come front and center. Look, this is the biggest philosophy show and people could come front and center and they can get an audience of millions over time and they can take me down. Right. What a fantastic opportunity for everyone who is so fucking certain that I'm wrong and obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. And people, they write their little articles or whatever and then I'm like, hey, come on the show. Well, I... uh 
I'm not good with the speaking with the moment in the face of the camera eyeball thing, head blur. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a typist. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, that was really helpful. Tell, tell you what, I'll cut a deal with you. I, I, I want to talk to you when you're dating. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying, right, I know you take some time and all that. But if you, if you find a guy who's like uh, getting your jimmy shimmied, then okay. like you're attracted or whatever, you gotta go through just give show. me a call. It doesn't have to be a show. It can be a 10-minute conversation. Right. Just, just, just give me a call, you know, oh, 10 no. minutes versus 10 years, right? Maybe I'll complete, completely wrong or whatever, but give me a call. I'm, I'm, Skype is on, right? I'll, you know, my daughter is old enough to entertain herself for 10 minutes. Yeah. Give me a call. I promise. Do you? I take that very seriously. I don't want you to be like, oh, well, you know, now it's been three months and I forgot that I, I take this very seriously. I want to know. I, 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 you, if you promise me, right, that's like not, well, I promise. That to me is like written in blood in the sky. If you promise me, then I really expect to hold you to that. I, I want to hold you to that promise. I, I, that's, my word is gold. Good. Good. Then we're on the same page as far as that goes. I just really wanted to, I, I, you know, I thought it was, but I just wanted to check because some people are like, oh, I'm probably sorry. Okay, good. So then I feel satisfied. Um, I'm very sorry that um, this went on for 10 years. I, I understand why I did. And, you know, you were only three years slower than me, but but I didn't have me, right? But um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I'm glad you're out. I'm sorry about the financial mess. Uh, you know, there are ways to have the end of a relationship not be, you know, a hell fest. You know, relationships can end and you can have a fairly civilized uh, exit. You know, with this woman, she actually helped me find a new place and, you know, we chatted for a while and all that and I uh. paid her rent for a month or two while I after I moved out uh, because she was still looking for work and, you know, the breakup was a bit exciting, but the aftermath was was pretty civilized. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so uh. I do think that uh, it can be that way. I'm sorry that um, <laughs> you, you should listen to a Krista Berg song called The Painter. I just, you really should. Okay. Um, it's, uh, uh, I've seen him live twice. He's a great, great showman, but um, it's a pretty funny uh, song to, uh, okay. to listen to, given your history. But um, uh, I'm incredibly sorry it happened, but uh, hopefully we can um, put our heads together and uh, find a way that you can get some far better quality guy for the future. Because where you're going, you, you can't, you just, you can't be with idiots, you know? Right. I mean, you just you just can't. I mean, and uh, there's ways to find him and ways to flee him uh, long before they get their hooks into you. Yes, I think that you are correct. Anything you want to add? Uh, I I can't think of anything. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You keep us posted. I will. All right. Thank okay, you. Okay. Well, um. I'm just going to take a tiny break, and I need to get something to drink. And uh, I guess we'll do maybe one or two more calls. And um, so I'll be back in a sec. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. All right. Part the second. Uh, we are ready to roll. All right. 
Uh, Patrick is next. He wrote in and said, My wife and I would like some practical help on nonviolent parenting for our new son, some advice on preventing the passing down of the damage to our children, and general tactics for dealing with some challenging situations. We have a good understanding of the why for nonviolent parenting, but are drawing a fair amount of blanks on the hows. So, (laughs) go ahead, Patrick. When's he going to be born? Uh, so we have a we have a nine month old now. Uh, at the time that was written, I guess he was eight, and we have since found out we have another one on the way. Um, so uh, it's even more important. I actually have a fifteen year old daughter as well. Uh, I'm thirty three, and and had her when I uh, I think uh, we got pregnant with her when I was seventeen. So that was um, a pretty rough situation. I really you know it was children raising children at that point, but. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, she's 15 now, and then we have, uh, like I said, we have a nine-month-old son and another one on the way. And I actually have my wife, Elena, here with me, so we're both here. Hello, hello. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. (laughs) So how far along are you with the next one? Three months. All right. So can't feel anything yet, right? Oh, no, just a whole lot of sickness and and very tired. It's the miracle of life. (laughs) Yeah, no, yep, I, I remember it well. It's uh, it's it's beautiful in hindsight, I guess, but it seems kind of goopy in the moment. Um, but then I probably don't need to lecture you a lot about being pregnant. Um, so, what are the practical stuff that you see coming up that seems obscure, like how to be do the peaceful parenting thing? Oh wow. Um, well, I guess back when I kind of. Uh, initiated having this call with you it was um uh it was right after originally you had said that you know you kind of solve a lot of problems with um bribery and that made perfect sense and it answered a lot of my questions and then a a few weeks later i i think you released a video where you mentioned that some new data you had seen pointed to bribery being wrong or bad uh and so then that kind of threw me for a loop and then that's when i kind of asked for this call because then i had no idea kind of how to negotiate these difficult times. But then recently, like a week or two ago, I think I I heard you put out another video where you said, well, you kind of rejected that. And so I wanted to kind of maybe get you to clarify where you are on kind of bribery. Uh, What's it worth to me? (laughs) Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Want milk and a late night. (laughs) Um, I am, uh, I, I get that and understand right this is just just all opinion time and just experience time um you don't want to be bribing your kids about everything like i i get that i really do Uh, at the same time um there is bribery in life i mean how many people love their jobs and would do it for free well maybe you two (laughs) I mean, the lucky few, but uh, most people don't, right? Right. You know, as is evidenced by the fact that they win the lottery and it's they do the uh, funky chicken dance right out of there, right? And um, so there is bribery in life. And, I mean, we do this sometimes even with ourselves, you know, like, uh, oh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll have a piece of cheesecake and I'll do an extra workout kind of thing. So I think that there is bribery in life. I think that um, I still use it on occasion with my daughter. I think, obviously, constantly bribing your children is bad. And and certainly, I don't bribe my daughter for any negative behavior because that basically just becomes being bullied. Like, 
yes, I'll buy you a candy bar, but you can't have a tantrum. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, okay. that that we've never done. Um, the bribery is, honestly, I, I mean, thinking back, it was at the level of, uh, you know, if you, when she was a baby or a toddler, you know, if you use the toilet, you get a skittle. Which so was positive um, things that you want them yeah, to Yeah, so... Yeah, the positive things, but we certainly, I mean, my daughter's never had a tantrum, and people, <laughs> they don't believe that, um, but she's, um, she's not moody at all. Like, she's, she's not moody at all. Uh, I was just talking about this with her yesterday, because she met a girl um, who's a bit moody, and, and she's like, well, that's different, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, she's sort of, sometimes she's happy, sometimes she's grumpy, and we don't know why, and um, I said, you know, do you ever am I ever sad or upset and you don't even know why? And she's like, well, no. And I said, does that ever happen with mom? And she says, well, no. And she said, did you ever feel that way? She says, no, I'm, I'm happy like almost all the time. Like unless I, yeah. <laughs> unless I fall, you know, I cut myself or whatever, right? I trip. Uh, I am, uh, I'm happy all the time. And she is, I mean, she's very even keeled and occasionally she could be a bit teeth grittingly positive. <laughs> Right. No, seriously. <laughs> She's like, literally. Right. So I got one of the $1.50 donations the other day. And I was like, oh, man. She's like, what? She's like, some guy sent me $1.50. And she said, but but that's better than a dollar, right? At least it wasn't a dollar. <laughs> and she's like, she's so relentlessly positive. It's like, you know, you're right. It's better than a dollar. <laughs> you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take it. And... um and so so that, um, that goes back to what you talked about to another parent recently, I think, where you were basically like, you have to you have to really sort of control the people that are around them so that they don't imprint on people with bad habits like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we she she met um, just once. Uh, she met a kid at a, a playground, oddly enough, called Amina, who was Amina kind of kid, um, who, you know, when she was going down the circular slide... And the kid at the bottom would go, boo, and it would startle her, right? And she said, hey, please don't do that. And then she went and did it. The kid did it again, and I, I wasn't there, but my wife handled it. <clears throat> you know, we still talk about that. This was, I don't know what, uh, months and months ago. We still talk about that so that we can try and sort of puzzle and figure things out. And I think she's met two children in the course of her life who were dysfunctional, like mean, right? And, and both of them were just like one-time events at Playground. And, um, yeah, we, we still talk about it, but, but that's it. That's all she's got. I mean, no, no, no one in her life has ever raised a voice, has ever threatened her, has ever punished her. Uh, that just has never occurred. And, um, but so occasionally, occasionally, uh, if I really wanted to do something positive uh, and she's really having some resistance, we'll try and talk about it. And for the most part, if at all possible, I will just let it slide, right? Right. Okay. But for stuff like reading, I still think reading is is important, and she she can do it, and she's she's starting to do it on her own, and she's starting to get more enthusiastic about it. But I got a you know for a couple of months there, she she didn't want to do it, and um, uh, so yeah, we would uh, I would uh, I would bribe her not with like candy and stuff because I don't want to get all that food stuff, uh, but you know some positive uh, reinforcement for for a good job. Now, I mean, obviously, this is I do. Like, I'm trying to sort of think, maybe six a year in total. So it's not sort of a, 
the first thing in the holster, you know, ah, bribery. <laughs> She's not doing something. I Here, a candy. You know, I get that's bad, right? Obviously, I understand that. Okay. Um, but I do think that in areas where she can't perceive the benefit as yet, uh, but she will get it afterwards, um, I think it's, uh, I think, I, I've still found it to be helpful. So again, it's, it's a very sparingly used device. And, um, but, you know, to me, okay, so no bribery, does that mean like no ribbons in sports? Does that mean everyone gets the same pay no matter how hard they work? I mean, it seems kind of weirdly egalitarian to me in, yeah, in a way. Yeah, you'd have to really kind of define bribery, right? Is is bribery a reward for a job? Is it a paycheck? Is it, uh, or I, I think it's all those things. Bribery maybe not, maybe isn't a negative. I don't in in all circumstances. Yeah, I mean, we all we all live with positive reinforcements. I mean, I don't love working out, but I just I do it, right? I mean, the positive reinforcement is to maintain good health and all that. I mean, who the hell loves brushing their teeth? But there's a positive reinforcement called, you know, not having cavities or whatever. So I, uh, you know, incentives, you know, bribes is, to me, a, a bribe typically means that you're getting someone to do something wrong, right? I mean, so you, you, you bribe an official to look the other way mm, or you okay. bribe someone to give you a contract when they wouldn't otherwise give you the contract. So bribery is one of these words that, you know, it's like you've lost the argument even with the word. Right. And it's sort of like the traditional definition of anarchy or something. I'm an anarchist. It's like, okay, well, you've lost already in some way, right? So yeah, so absolutely. I think bribery is, is already bad. On the other hand, I think incentives and rewards is not uh, necessarily in the same category. It's a part of life. You know, it sort of strikes, it strikes me that uh, the people who have come up with these um, studies, this is not an argument, I'm just telling you sort of what I think, um, but sure. it, it's interesting to me that I don't know any free market entrepreneur who's come up with any of this stuff. It generally tends to be academics with tenure. Mm. And, you know, you, if you can't get fired and you're getting paid $150,000 to do something you love for three hours a week... Yeah, I can understand how you might be somewhat beyond incentives, but incentives matter quite a, quite a lot to those of us struggling out here in the free market to provide value without massive government subsidies and contracts and unions and shit like that. So, sorry, stuff like that. You have an unborn um, <laughs> poop like that. <laughs> but um, so I I I can't, uh, and I I don't think it's actually that fair to remove incentives from parenting. Um, obviously, no negative incentives. Um, but um, uh, I do think that on occasion, an incentive or a reward for doing something, the work of which is going to pay off later, I think is uh, is helpful and important. So I, I have not scrubbed it from my vocabulary, though I do, of course, understand that if you're constantly providing incentives for your kids to do stuff, they don't develop a lot of self actualized behavior and certainly if i still had to give my daughter a skittle to go to the bathroom right then that would uh, <laughs> would not have worked you know but we needed it for a sure. couple of weeks if memory serves me right and i don't i can't think of any incentives that have really lasted for any particular uh, period of time so my daughter loves stuffed cats and so you know if she wants a stuffed cat i'll say okay well let's make a deal and she's like okay fine i will do two weeks uh, of extra reading like with no complaints 
for this kitty. It's like, okay, great. So let's have the kitty. And we get, so to me, that's a win-win. You know, she gets the kitty and we get no complaints about doing, you know, and literally the reading we do is like 15, 20 minutes a day. So, um, can, uh, can you give me a yeah, better, can you give me a better idea of how your negotiations go? Um, I, I just, like I said, I, I have a 15 year old daughter and, and I raised her completely opposite to this whole kind of idea, unfortunately. Um, because I mean, basically I had her only a few years after I was spanked myself, I had no possible con- comprehension of, of what I should be doing. But now it's, you know, critical to me that I, that I, you know, for once be a good parent. Um, so well but, for twice, the, hopefully, but yeah, yeah, for twice. Right. So, um, th- I mean that, that means that I have to quickly learn how, how do you negotiate with, with a five-year-old with a three-year-old, you know, how, how does that work? How does that look? Well, give me a situation that you think will come up. Mm, okay. Um, so uh, two months ago, we were at a restaurant, and um, there was this kid running laps in between the tables. Um, he went and got toy cars and was pushing them around uh, in between the people. Uh, you know, the, the parents totally ignored them. Um, my response in the past would have been very disciplinarian. Um, and then I just kind of looked at my wife and I was like, well, well, what on earth are we going to do? (laughs) So what, uh, yeah. So is that, is that a good example? Sorry. Did this restaurant have like hard plastic chairs and a play center? No, no. Mm -hmm. It was a nice restaurant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how old was the little boy? Six, seven, five, six, seven, something like that. Right. So you can't solve that problem in the moment. Right. I tell you what, aggression almost always arises. And this is, a, I think, a generally true statement. Aggression almost always arises out of a failure to prepare. Okay. In other words, aggression tends to be reactionary and it tends to be way strong because of a failure to prepare. Right. So why do people want the welfare state? Because they have failed to prepare for adulthood. Right? Why do why do women want so many welfare programs if the da- husband is not around? Because they failed to provide to prepare for being a good mom with a stable provider. Right. So when there's a failure of preparation, there's almost always an escalation and an aggression that occurs on the other side of it. So the question is, for me, you say to yourself, "I want to go to a nice restaurant next week." Right. Right. Um, now, I mean, if you can go to a not nice restaurant, you know, or whatever, then then that's fine because kids are around and that's all understood. But let's say you want to go to a nice restaurant. Okay. Now, a six-year-old for sure can handle this, right? So what you do is you sit your kid down and you say, listen, we want to go to a nice restaurant. Now, a nice restaurant has fantastic food and it's not too loud and there's not a bunch of screaming kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's something that we want to do. Maybe not the screaming kids thing, because that sounds kind of derogatory towards kids. But now say, would you like to come to a really nice restaurant? Now, if the kid desperately doesn't want to come, then get a babysitter, right? Okay. Or find someone to take care of your kid, right? And you talk it up, right? Show them pictures of here's what it looks like. Look, there are candles. And at the end of the meal, you can blow them out. You might even blow them out at the beginning and have them light them again or whatever. It could be cool stuff. But this is a big person thing. Like we go to the restaurants with the clown chairs and the puffy seats and the trays and and the the food that's all in paper and stuff. That's kid stuff. This is a big person restaurant. Now, kids are pretty fascinated by what big people do, right? And they a lot of them want to emulate big people, right? 
And so you say, this is a big person restaurant. Now, if you want to come, we'd love you to come. But if you want to come, then it has to be different than a kid restaurant, right? Like you never see candles at a kid's restaurant, right? They say, no. I say, well, why not? Because fire and little kids and stuff like that, right? Now, this has candles, which means it's for bigger and more mature people. So if you want to come, which we would love, then there's some standards behavior, right? You, you've got to sit nicely in your seat. We engage in conversation. We chat, right? Um, you can bring a little iPod if that's whatever, however you handle that family stuff, if it's going to be a long dinner. But we're going to have chats and you got your napkin and we're going to dress up a little nice, but you can't be going down and running, you know, between and so on. And you can't be, you know, you can have a few, maybe a few little toys in your area, but, uh, you know, so you just, you sort of go through the whole list of, um, of what is expected of a child in that environment. Does that sort of make any sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, it, it, and then, and who, then who thinks after you about- explain that, Hang on. About After you say okay. that, you have to get the child's agreement to that. This is key, right? Once okay. the child understands and the child has agreed, then you have leverage, mm. right? Otherwise, you have to pile on with aggression after the fact because it's a lack of preparation. But sorry, you were going to ask something. Go ahead. No, I was I was just saying, uh, I, I know no parents that, that actually sit down with their kids and prepare them for such, I guess, mundane kind of simple things. But I totally see how that would be huge. It would be absolutely huge. Well, how's the kids How's the kids supposed to know? Imagine exactly. you go to Japan. Yeah. I mean, how the hell are you supposed to know what is the ritual for eating at a fine restaurant in Japan? Or it's, it, let's say you go into someone's house in Japan. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, I should have brought table legs. I mean, like, I don't know, right, what, what they do in Japan for, for meals. I mean, I watch Sayonara, but that's probably not quite enough. So, so when you're going to a new culture, you need some preparation. So if I was going over to someone's house in Japan, I'd go read up a bunch on what is expected. Do you bring a gift? Like in some cultures, if you admire something in someone's house, they've got to give it to you, right? Right, right. Well, I mean, so don't go and say, I love your wife. <laughs> I will take her home in a bag. Right. So um, so you would read up on it. Right. Well, going to a fancy restaurant is like for a kid. It's like going to Japan. It's a whole new environment. So you've got to prepare them for it. Right. Otherwise, if, if you know, a failure to prepare is preparing for failure. Right. Sure. Now, once you have a child's agreement, then you remind them every day. Right. You know, what are the five things going to a fancy restaurant? Remember, it's going to be cool. What are the things? Blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Now, once the kids have agreed and they understand and they're ready for it, then you'll have no problems. And and if the problems do arise, you say, hey, wait, wait, wait. Remember, we had a deal, right? Right. We, we had a deal. And I have found under all situations, we had a deal is enough. So it, it's never gone past that? It's never, the deal's never been broken? No. Well, I mean, she, occasionally she'll forget. But I will tell you how powerful this is. Okay. So um, as a father, and I'm sure this happens with moms too, I have a habit of attacking my daughter with tickle bombs. <laughs> okay. Occasionally I am tempted to do this in a fancy restaurant. So my daughter and I were playing who can tickle who best when okay. walking into a nice restaurant, right? Okay. Now she and, and we're not allowed to do tickle bombs in a nice restaurant, right? Obviously, right? <laughs> right, right. So she tickled me 
for the last time, right? And then when I was about to tickle her, she jumped through the doorway to the nice restaurant. She planted herself <laughs> in front of the maitre d' and she said, Dad, no tickling. It's a nice restaurant. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And, and she was four years old. Wow. I, 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 I envy, I envy the connection you have with your daughter that I totally threw away with mine. Um, well, no, 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 listen, listen. I mean, that's, I think, probably too harsh on yourself. Look, I get, and you can share if you want, but I, I fully understand that if you had a kid at 17, you had it pretty rough as a kid yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I guess. And that doesn't, I mean, that, that doesn't come out of nowhere, right? I mean, so you had it rough as a kid, and as you say, you were still a kid. I mean, you were still seven or eight years away from physical brain maturity, and you had a kid, Right. Right. But I, I, I just try not to um, make excuses for myself because, I, you know, it was still my choice and my responsibility. And, and No, no, no. Fine. Look, <laughs> but I'm concerned about you making excuses for your parents, right? Because the only person you talked about as being at fault there was, your, was you, right? Sure. Okay. How would, how would my parents be at fault for my decision to have a child? Just because Tell me I, a little bit about your childhood. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Um, so, wow, I guess the overview would basically be, um, uh, I had a, I grew up with my mom until I was eight or nine. She married my, um, stepfather who turned out to be very abusive. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, sorry. Biological dad? Uh, never met him. Um, apparently he split, uh, before my mother was able to tell him she was pregnant. So, um, that was. So you're, and how old was your mom when you were born? How long? How old? 25. How old was your mom? 25. Right. So your mom was incredibly irresponsible with her sexuality, right? It, it's so weird hearing someone else say this. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've just never heard, I've never thought those words before. But I mean, that's... Well, look, I mean, if a woman, unless she was raped, right? I mean, a woman who voluntarily has sex and gets pregnant with a guy who then takes off is about the most irresponsible life form on the planet. Sure. I mean, that's a human life. You know, sex is a big person's game that makes real people. Yeah. And to have a child with a father who has not even stuck around is unbelievably irresponsible. So you had a template of incredibly irresponsible sexuality, which was why you're here, right? Right, yeah. But yeah. anyway, so so then when you were eight or nine, uh, did your mom date when you were before that? No, mm -mm. Um, she okay. she's very heavily into the, involved in the church, and uh, I guess just one day, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, she may have dated and just not kept it hidden from me, but uh, I guess one day she just kind of brought someone home from the church, and and uh, that that was that. I think they dated three months, and then they got married uh, three three months after I probably first saw the guy. Um, and were you consulted about the marriage? Um, no, no, not, not, not at all. I mean, I, I'm sure at one point she probably asked me if I liked him. Um, and I think at that's the time, not consultation. That's, that's opinion polling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, sure, at the time, I'm sure I liked him because, you know, he, uh, he was into electronics and had lots of cool toys. Um, but, uh, I really had no well, idea. Well, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, 
you have as much, if not more, of a say of the men of the man in your house that your mom does. Because your mom, is everything's there by her choice, right? She chose to have sex with a guy who didn't stick around, right? To, for which she owes you an enormous apology, in my opinion, right? I mean, sorry that I ended up with a, such a crappy guy that he didn't even stick around to raise you. That's costly to you, right? It's painful to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but, but so everything in her life was there by choice. She was 25, right? But... You're not there by choice. You didn't have no dad by choice. And the new guy is not in your life by choice. So she needs to consult you, right? Yeah, I, I, I had no comprehension of, of what this father thing was. I never had one. Um, right. Didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was a guy that brought toys over. And that was my, I very clearly remember that mindset. Right. And then what was he like as a stepdad? Um, he, uh, was very verbally degrading. Uh, he, um, hit, hit me with random implements around the house when I, uh, disobeyed or, uh, didn't do jobs, I guess, to the, to the quality that he expected. Um, so it was, it was pretty terrifying. Um, then, uh, my mother, I guess, had a, uh, another son, or a, had a son with him, so my brother. Um, uh, I guess about a year into the marriage. Um, wait, 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 hang on. But how long into him sorry. living with you did he hit you with the implements? Um, probably a, a a year in, probably around the same time that uh, they had or they got pregnant with my brother. Um, I guess that's. And did your mom know that he was hitting you, basically beating you? Did your mom know that he was beating you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. She knew, and he, and he was, uh, you know, uh, hitting her too. So, oh, so, so this wonderful specimen of femininity was like, hey, he's hitting my son. He's hitting me. You know, it'd be fucking great. Let's have another baby. God, my gut reaction is to be like, you're talking about my mom, man. <laughs> I'm so defensive, just, just, just as a reaction. It's hard, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, tell me, if, if, if I knowingly handed over my child to a babysitter that beat her, what would you call me? Evil. <laughs> Evil. Yeah, and then if I'm like, hey, let's have a baby and give that to the babysitter who beat my child. Yeah. I'm sorry if it's startling. I'm... I'm well, I'm really it, sorry that it's startling. <laughs> I've been listening to you but, for, mo for months. You know, I... I, I am one this. of these few people on the planet who have incredible respect for women. And my incredible respect for women means treating them as equals. It means that if they do unbelievably shitty things, particularly if those shitty things involve children and choice, I hold them completely accountable in exactly the same way that I would hold a man completely accountable. This is my incredibly deep respect for women that I will not lower my standards around a woman. I don't want the world to lower the standards around for my daughter. I want her to be treated the same as a man. I was always raised to treat women the same as men. Naturally, in some circles, I'm now known as a woman hater because I treat women as equal to men. But if women let their children be beaten by a man and then see fit to provide that man with an offspring, I think that's pretty shitty behavior.
I would think that would be shitty behavior on the part of a man, and I will not change the standards because philosophy, sadly or happily, is a universal discipline. It's an objective discipline, which means that boobs don't block UPB. <laughs> it means there's no pussy pass in philosophy, no such thing, right? Right. So I'm sorry that it's shocking, but that is terrible behavior. That is incredibly terrible behavior. Her first responsibility was to keep you safe. You're absolutely Her right. first responsibility was to keep you safe. Now, part of keeping you safe is having a child with a man who's going to stick around. And if she doesn't do that, she's already failed. Mm. She's already failed her motherly duties, which means she's already starting in a hole. Not in a mountain, but in a hole. Now, if she then marries a guy who hits you and gives him another kid, she's further endangering you, plus she's endangering a baby. At least you were getting hit when you were 9 or 10, which is terrible enough. But she is knowingly placing the infant in the proximity of a child beater. Right. Right. And, and I think my brother ended up uh, a lot worse than I did because I think he was younger when he went through it. Um, yeah. I, I was already old enough to kind of recognize that it was... Uh, that something was dangerous, that something was wrong. Um, and you had nine years of not being beaten with implements. Right, right. I, I, so yes. the formative years, zero to five, are the really formative years. And this is what I mean. If you give a baby to a child abuser, I mean, giving an older child to a child abuser is bad enough. You give a baby to a child abuser, you are then creating the kind of kid who's probably going to end up doing damage to society or himself or another generation right right yeah i i and it, it eventually took i think their whole relationship was about five years and it we got to the point where it took um one of my cousins coming in from out of state to stay with us and he ended up she was 16 17 uh and she upset him somehow and i think he uh basically bent her over his lap and just spanked the the crap out of her and i think that was when my mom kind of saw the the guy or the demon that was in the house and so we packed up our Wait, shit. I'm and sorry. Split. I'm sorry you you're kinda of blowing past a lot of stories here. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, look, I understand the urge to laugh, but I mean this stuff is like desperately not funny, right? I, I and I don't understand the urge to laugh. I guess it's a stress relief. No, you're you're trying to get me to view it as funny so that it's I don't expose the pain, right? Oh, okay. Okay, so just deep breath time. I just so you had a female cousin who came to stay who was 16 or 17 years old. Yes. Yep, she was and, uh, my yeah, go ahead. Oh, She was probably my best friend in the family, so I was very close to her. Okay. And she did something to annoy your stepdad. Yeah, and, and I don't remember what that was. Um, I, I think, in fact, I, I probably walked into the room um, middle of the spanking. So, And it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Right. Like, I, I, I don't know of any court in the world that says to a man who beats his wife, to the wife, well, what did you do to upset him? Right. Right? It doesn't matter. Right? I mean, how, how comfortable does the society feel saying to rape victims... Well, what did you do to provoke him? Were you dressed provocatively? <laughs> yeah, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. So it doesn't matter. She could have done anything. She could have set fire to his car. It doesn't matter. He's an adult. You don't. Anyway, so basically he pulled this 
young woman over his lap and spanked her on her behind? Uh, yes, yeah. Pants up or pants down? Um, pants up, but he was a he was a pretty enormous guy, so I'm. It, it wasn't like he was a the. It wasn't like the hitting was light. <laughs> oh, so was, he basically. I laughed again. Really hit her hard on her butt when she was sixteen or seventeen years old. Yes. That is some kinky shit, right? You understand that's just more of a fetish than it is any kind of discipline. And that's terrifying to think about. <laughs> I haven't thought of that before. No, but, but yeah. it is. Spanking is, uh, and spanking also does produce a lot of, uh, can produce a lot of sexual dysfunction because it is, right? The, the, the butt, there's a reason that it's covered with a bikini, right? There's a right. reason why you have to cover it up because a butt is a sexual organ. A butt is, an, I mean, an erogenous zone, right? Right. And so there's a lot of sexually kinky shit that is happening when a man is beating a young woman on the behind. Right. Okay. And so at this point, your mother had a reaction? I don't, I don't quite understand. Like, um, I, don't, I don't follow that. So I think at that point, this, this triggered the rest of our family to kind of stage an intervention, um, at which well, point. Why, no, no. But why at this point? Yeah. He's already been hitting babies. He's already been hitting you. How old were you at this point? Um... 10, maybe? Okay. So he's hitting you. I guess the baby's just born. Maybe he's not hitting the baby, right? Right. But why? I mean, he's already been hitting you. Oh, could it be because you're a disposable male? Hmm. Mm. But yeah. he hit a woman. Oh, <gasps> now we have to intervene. That was just a little boy he was hitting. Now he's hitting a young woman. Oh, my goodness. That's terrible. That's disgusting. Yeah. It is disgusting and typical. Right. So the family intervenes. But wait a second here. Wasn't this five years into the relationship? I'm just, I'm, my math is going crazy here. So your mom married when you were nine or ten? I, I, my, my, my memory of the years are, is very foggy. Um, no, so but we're five off here. I, I think they were together five, six years. Um, but was this at the end of their relationship? Then you'd be like 14 or 15, no, right? we're not at the end of the story. Yeah, no. Oh, so uh, this is early on, a year or two after he marries your mom, that he hits this girl? It's it's a few years in. It's at least over halfway. It's it's somewhere in there. Um, so maybe you're 11 or 12 or whatever. But you've been hit for a couple of years, and everyone's like, yeah, that's fine. But then this 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 girl or this young woman gets hit once, and everyone's like, ah! Right? Exactly, exactly. Ah. All right. Uh, so um, my mother sided with uh, my stepdad, and um, the family basically cut all ties. So basically, to to this day, there there's no contact um, because of that. Um. Yeah, I, yeah, it's terrible. It, it it was it was the wrong decision at pretty much every single point, and uh, the and, and it's my brother and I that kind of. When we when we get to spend time together and we think about this and we talk about it and, and we cry about it, it's like we we had no control. But um, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. So yeah, I, I, I never I, that that always annoys me when people say it is what it is. 
Okay. Because that, that adds nothing. That is just an, an emotional emptiness in that statement. It, it, it resolves nothing. It reveals nothing. It connects with nothing. It's as empty as, as it is tautological. What does that mean when you say it is what it is? I guess it describes the feeling that it, there's an emptiness. There's a, a disconnection. No, it justifies the feeling. It doesn't describe the feeling. Otherwise, you'd say there's an emptiness rather than this pseudo-philosophical stuff of it, it, it is what it is. I don't know what that means. What is? Uh, what the, is? I, what, what is? I don't know. I, I guess the, hi- the history, the things that happen can't be changed, so we have to deal with it, I guess, is the, is the thought. I don't know what that means. <laughs> What does it mean to say things can't, of course things can't be changed in the past, but so what? Does that mean what? What does dealing with it mean? You know, like a guy who's been killed, a guy who's been murdered can't be unmurdered, but still someone goes to jail, right? Right. So what does it mean you have to deal with it? We have to continue, we have to move on, we have to live life, right? We have to... (laughs) Again, these are all platitudes, I don't know what any of this means. I, I guess we don't let have me ask. Let me ask you a more direct question. Are you still in contact with your mother? Yes, I am. Of course you are, because you have platitudes, right? Right. Has your mother apologized for subjecting you to years of child abuse? Yes, she has. Multiple times. Um, many times over the years since this all ended. And she's Oh, after very... it ended, she apologized. Yes. And how, okay, how did it it's end? It's been more more since he's been an adult that they've been able to finally talk about this stuff and she's realized she's made mistakes and she's apologized for them. I don't know if she was really I, able uh, to talk about it before that, though. Made mistakes is already kind of a an understatement term, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. You know, made mistakes or I, I sent the check to the wrong address by accident. Right. I mean, she didn't make mistakes. She did evil. The yes. two are not, right? She did evil. Yes. And does she get that? I, I think so. I don't, I you don't think know. think so. I don't know. Okay. My, my wife thinks so. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that you'll know is she said, I did evil. I mean, she's definitely apologized, but I don't know if she gets the, the but gravity. What, what, what do the apologies sound like? Tell me, give, pretend you're her apologizing to you, to me. What would uh, she say? I, I, I'm so sorry I brought him into our lives. Um, I'm so sorry for the things that I allowed him to do. Um, it, I never should have allowed any of that to happen and um uh i am sorry for the effect it's had on you and your brother and that's okay that's good and and then what that's that's about it but does she offer to pay for therapy no no she doesn't have a lot of money okay does she offer to pay for therapy she doesn't right you're right. That that should make a difference. You're right. No, she has. Does she, she does offer not. to go into therapy herself to figure out how this came about or how it happened? No, 
you know, ther- is she doing? Is- if she doesn't have the money for that, is she doing any self work? Is she reading any books on self knowledge? Is she reading any self help books? Is she reading any books on psychology? Is she trying to figure out the pathology of how she ended up breeding with and handing over her son to child abuser? The Bible is all she needs. Oh, okay. Would probably be it. Yeah. Has she been praying for knowledge about why she did all these things? She prays every morning, uh, religiously, so to speak. That's not what I asked. I didn't ask, does she pray? Oh, I don't know what the content of her prayers are. I'm not around well, for that. I can assume that if she was, she said, she said, dear Jesus, dear God, you must give me knowledge about why I did such evil so that I can help my son avoid the same fate. Please give me the knowledge. Please give me the facts about how I ended up in this situation. Yeah, I don't. So that I, I can know. tell my son, so that Jesus, you can help my son break the cycle of dysfunction in this family. Give me the knowledge. Give me the facts that you denied to me while I was actually married. You denied to me while it might have actually done some goddamn good. Maybe, Jesus, now you can give me the help that you denied me when it would have actually made a damn bit of difference. Wow. Yeah. I don't think she's doing that. I think she's saying, I'm sorry, and then she's relying on the you must forgive commandments and honor their mother and their father commandments to release her from any further obligation for the wrongs that she did. She she has never guilted me into any sort of relationship with her. Um, she, I, she, I don't know. I feel, I feel, I feel that she's fragile. And I feel that without my brother and I protecting her, that she wouldn't really make it in the world. And I don't know if that's oh, oh, manipulation. So oh, wait, protecting the fragile is a big value for you. Yes. Right. You mean a fragile like a baby and a nine-year-old boy? Ah, yes. Exactly mm. like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that I would hold someone who subjected children to that level of child abuse as somebody that has to be protected because they're fragile and protecting the fragile is such a great virtue. Yeah. What's a cause to a change of heart? With the marriage? No, with you. Oh, um, I don't know. I don't know that. Sorry, I barked that like you should know. I, I apologize for that. What, what, I mean, why, why did she change with you? to um, getting rid of you. I mean, you, I assume, liked you. You didn't get to see your cousin again. You didn't get to see your extended family again, right? Yeah, and she never really, she never really talked about that. Uh, she never, she never, th- that never came up. Um, I think all, all, the only memory I have from that period of time, basically, is that um, a while after that, after the, 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 the family evaporated, uh, she came to me and basically said, so... Um, I think we should probably leave your father. What do you think? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, again, we're back with the laughter. I need you to try and drop that if you can. It's it's um, dissociating for me and for the listeners. Um, so the family did not evaporate, right? The family right. tried to intervene on behalf of the children and your mother drove them away. Right. Right. It's not evaporating, right? Right. I'm surprised they didn't call the authorities or, or something. I'm really surprised. Oh, I'm not. That's another story. Um, so how long after your mother drove 
the family, your, your support system, your friends away in order to uh, hang on to the child abusing bastard. How long after that did the marriage end? I, I apologize. I'm really foggy. My, my, I, I don't know if I've blocked it out. Days, or, weeks, months, years? Uh, a year, maybe, give or take six months. And did she then attempt to repair relationships with the family, knowing how important they were to you? No. She uh, is very conflict-averse. Um, she Conflict-averse? I don't know she, what that means. She, uh, I mean, she had a guy in who hit her children. That sounds like a whole bunch of fucking conflict to me. Conf- uh, I guess anytime someone is aggressive towards her, she immediately acquiesces. She um, will... No, 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 no. Fa- the family stood up and said, this is all wrong. Right. Did she comply with them? Um, I think she uh, cut off ties with them. Right, so she was, she was strong, quote, strong with, with those people, right? Yes. Right, so she basically stuck with the abuser. Is it because the abuser was more violent? No, it's because of Christianity. It's because a wife is supposed to support her husband, and she said that to me. I remember that now. Oh, so she's big on the Christian stuff. Okay, now, if Jesus came back, would she cheer on her husband beating the shit out of Jesus with a big stick. <laughs> no. Don't no, would that not be part of her theology? I, I can you say that again, please? I'm sorry. So let's say Jesus came back and showed up at her house. Would she cheer on her husband beating Jesus? Oh, no, of course not. With a rolling pin? No, of course not. But why not? Jesus clearly says, whatever you do to the little children, also do you do unto me. So if she's really big on Jesus and his commandments, and she would not want her husband to beat Jesus with a stick, and Jesus clearly says, whatever you do to the children, so do you also do unto me, then I don't know how she gets to claim biblical justification for anything she did. You're right. Even if it was, even if it was uh, something that you could claim as a defense, it, it, it's not valid because of that. Yeah. I mean, you can find anything in the Bible if you want, right? I mean, or just claim it's an interpretation, right? But the people who say, well, I'm going to allow my husband to abuse my children because Jesus or God says, stay with your husband. Well, then they should be they should be cheering the crucifixion, right? Because the crucifixion was the torture of Jesus and child abuse is the torture of children. And Jesus says, whatever you do to the children, so you do unto me. So if you're a good and fine with the torture of children, then you can't be a Christian because you must be good and fine with the torture of Jesus. Well, if you spare the rod, you know, you spoil a child. I think that's that's another one of her. I, I feel like my whole life is competing against the Bible. <laughs> and I'm sorry for laughing again. I, that's annoying. I, I apologize. Um, the, well, of course, um, the spare the rod, spoil the child is um, a hideously evil 
statement. Now, some people say that the rod is supposed to be wise instruction. Of course, you know, who knows what the hell all this language mutation has gone through from the original to now. And um, people say, well, it means if you spare a wise, a wise instruction to your child, your child will be spoiled. But of course, nobody understands it that way. It's like, don't hit your children and your children will turn out spoiled, right? Yep, that's how it's interpreted. Does she... Does she murder a lot of witches? Does she strangle a lot of gays? No. No, she doesn't. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, so she's willing to overlook biblical commandments that are not productive to her, right? Because the Bible clearly says, I mean, you have to go and kill the unbelievers and the heretics and the homosexuals and the sorcerers and the... right unbelievers, right? So she's certainly willing to overlook biblical verses that go against her self-interest in the moment, right? Absolutely. So she can't claim biblical justification for anything she does. Anybody who doesn't follow the Bible 100% cannot claim that any part of the Bible they're willing to follow 100%. You're right. I think uh, I think it all started after she met this guy too at the church. Uh, before before my stepdad came into the picture, I never I never got spanked. I, I barely. It, it was very peaceful. I think, oh, so she met a guy at the church before your stepdad, who convinced her to hit the children. No, the, step, the, the stepdad told her how it needed to be. So was the, she broke? Did he have money? Like, I'm trying to figure out what, what were the 30 pieces of silver upon which she was willing to offer up her children's bruises and backs? I think she was lonely. I think she, uh, I, I think she was also driven by a need. Uh, she, she wanted me to have a father. She felt guilty about um, me not having one. And so she was driven to find one. At least that's what she told me. And so did he talk about hitting you guys before you got married? Uh, before she got married to, to him? Did she talk to me about it? No. No. Do you, did he ever mention it? No. Hmm. Not that I remember. So either your mother exposed you to a man that she had never asked about his child's rearing practices, which is basically like going to a firing range, spinning around three times, pulling the trigger while blindfolded. You either hit people or you don't, but it's completely accidental. So she either got married to a man with no idea how he approached discipline for children, or she asked him, she got the answer and got married to him anyway. Yeah, it's got to be number one. It and it's also it was there's three months that she dated for three months. So how much can you really know about anyone in three months? I don't know. How do you discipline children? Well, how long did that take? Did that take less than three months? Hang on, let me just check my clock here. Well, I mean, you got to compare the yeah. difference. Between yeah, no, what they... it took a whole lot less than three months to say how do you discipline children, husband to be, man who asked me to marry you, who was going to be in charge of my children to some degree. How do you think children should be raised? How do you think children should be managed? That I'm really ups- didn't take that long, did it? I'm I'm really upset by how many breaks I seem to have, have, have given my mother. Like I, I seem like I, I just forgive her over and over 
for everything uh, just by default. Like I don't even I don't even think about this stuff. No, I got it. Of course. Of course. Of course. And to be honest, it's people like you who I'm terrified to send my daughter into the world with because my daughter is then going to go out there and she's going to do stuff that's bad or mistaken or whatever and everyone's going to maybe rush around and explain it away and it's not your fault and it's okay, forgive, forget, move on. And then she's going to be like, hey, I can get away with some serious shit on this planet. Mm. Yeah. And then all my moral instructions, they're going to be eroded away and eroded away by these horrific and hypocritical double standards for women. Excuse the egg makers. That is the medley of the planet. Egg maker, here's your pass. Get out of jail free. Excuse the egg makers. Sperm donors, screw you. You go into the trenches. We'll give you a helmet. Maybe it'll stop a bullet. Probably not. But the Egg makers, oh, you know, they're held around like popes. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So don't do that. <laughs> do you know if you've got a boy or girl coming? Roger that. Uh, no, we don't know yet. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. Okay, you might, might have a girl, right, obviously. Yep. You've got a son, right? You've had one 15-year-old. You've got a son who's nine months, so eight when he's now nine months. 15-year-old daughter, nine-month son. Right. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, so if you have a son, you, you just have to, sorry, if you have a daughter, you just have to recognize that you, you can't create a parallel universe for the egg holders and do anything but harm their capacity to raise children well. Yeah, you're... You're right. You're absolutely right. I don't even remember so, we, what brought up my parents. What were we? No, because you, you were blaming yourself oh, yes. for having a daughter so young. And uh, I said, well, maybe your parents have something to do with you. Like, well, what would my parents have to do with it, right? And, <laughs> Is that how I well, sounded? <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I definitely work on this stuff. Look, I'm, I'm glad your mom apologized. I'm glad that you got a confession. You know, a little bit of restitution might not be the end of the world, right? Right. Um, you know, as far as I understand it, you have to earn your way into heaven, right? And you've got to earn your, you got to earn your forgiveness if you want it. And uh, I'm look so to be I mean to give credit where credit is due. I'm glad that she has reversed it. I sure wish she'd reversed it when it was somewhat useful to you. I mean, how old were you when she first apologized? Probably sixteen. Right. That's good. That's good. But um, until she knows why she allowed all this evil to happen, um, to me, she would still be a pretty dangerous person to be around. Uh, particularly with uh, with kids. Um, that's my opinion, right? I mean, that's just my personal perspective. Um, is she still she's still religious, right? Yes, very much so. And uh, you're not? Uh, definitely not religious. No. And your wife? Sorry, we're talking about you like you're not even here. But... Um, I I go back and forth. I have a scientific degree, so I've been kind of indoctrinated against religion 
and I don't really care for it. I don't think science is indoctrination. Well, okay. I feel like it was when I was going through college. <laughs> it was That's uh, like saying numbers are magic. <laughs> well, it was it was pretty harsh when I was going through with my the the doctors that were teaching me. They kind of really poked a lot of holes in my beliefs at that time. So I'm not sure where I stand. Well, if you want to call in, um, it's late now. If you want to call in and have a chat about religion, I'm absolutely more than, than happy to if I can help in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, because it probably will be helpful to have um, consistency uh, uh, in your beliefs. Yes. But um, if, if the mom is still religious and you guys are not, then um, what's the deal going to be? I mean, with your kids as they get older, is she going to be allowed to tell them this stuff is true? Is she going to be allowed to take them to church like it's real? I mean, what's the deal? Remember I was talking about preparation? Preparation, preparation is the key to parenting. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I honestly don't have an answer for you yet. I think um, we just started processing where we stand on God uh, a few months ago after we started listening to some of your podcasts. I don't, I don't think we have those answers yet. Okay, so so from as far as I understand it, and I'm in in the same position as well. As far as I won't give answers to my daughter, you you can't teach this stuff like it's true if you can't prove it, right? Absolutely, because then then all you're doing is relying on on size and the authority of of parenting, right? That's not right. fair, right? Yeah, I think my like if I if I had to explain it to like like if like if my son was five years old now. I would probably not even talk about it because I'm at a place where I'm not I'm not solid in that area. I don't have those answers yet. Thanks. Well, no, no. Listen, you can be honest. You You can say I don't have the answers, right? I mean, uh, we were walking past. I was walking past a church uh, with my daughter today, and I said, "Hey, what's that?" And she says, "I don't know." I said, "Hey, look, that's a church, right?" And uh, we were going to go in, but it wasn't open. And and you know, we talked about it and see that big spire and the big thing looks like a lowercase t. Uh, and uh, we talked about it, and, uh, you know, is this a real feature and function of the world that we live in, right? I mean, there's graffiti on the wall sometimes. That doesn't mean she's going to go out with a paint spray. I mean, there's there's tattoos. That doesn't mean she's going to get one. Uh, but, you know, I mean, this is an important... I mean, he's going to run into it probably sooner rather than later if he's got contact with other kids. You know, some over at someone's house and say, Grace, Grace, let's eat, <laughs> right? And... Right. Uh, so uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. I mean, I say that half the time with my daughter. She asks me some obscure question about something or other. I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Let's look it up. She's big, big. She's quite opposed to looking things up. But Yeah, um, I, I just figure I have at least a year and a half before I have to start talking about that stuff. So uh, all I oh, admit no, is no, 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 I don't have an not, answer not, for you now. No, no, I'm talking about your mom. Your mom, oh, you've got to start now. Right, right. Right, so if you're going to say, look, we ain't, we're not teaching our kids that religion is true right now. Which means you got to be on board with that, right? Which means that relationship is mostly over. No, no, no. Listen. She owes you. She brought a child abuser into your life. It's time to pay up. If you're really sorry, mom, then you'll keep this religious stuff away from my children. You owe me. No, what I'm saying is I would would rather end that relationship than deal with the drama that that conversation would bring into my life. That's what I'm saying. Then then what you're telling me is she's not sorry at all. Because sorry means I owe you, right? 
And if I'm like, dude, I owe you so much. And you're like, can you pick me up at the airport? And I'm like, nah. And you're like, are you busy? No. Do you have a car? Oh, yeah. You said you owe me. You do anything for me. Can you pick me up at the airport? Nah. Then don't give me bullshit about how much you owe me, right? Maybe I misunderstand. Uh, it, it, it sounds like you're saying that I should basically say you owe me, so don't talk about God around my kid. Yeah. Uh, that she would... said she's incredibly sorry for bringing a child abuser into your life and having him beat you up for six or seven years, right? Right. Right. So she owes you for six or seven years of child abuse. That's a pretty big debt, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you could pay that, that one off. You can't ever. pay that off because yeah. I guarantee you there's no amount of money in the world that would make that worthwhile to you. Right. Go back to you when you're 10 and say, hey, listen, you got six or seven years of being beaten with implements by this asshole, but don't worry, we'll give you a million dollars when you're 30. What would you say? Uh, I'll take my chances. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. No, I don't want the million dollars. Just keep this asshole and his rolling pins off me, right? Yep. Okay, so Patrick, your mom owes you big. Now, when you say sorry to someone for something as big as six or seven years of bringing voluntarily, without consulting with them, a child abuser into their life, getting rid of their extended family, she stripped you of your best friend with your cousin, she got you beaten. You got to see her getting beaten. She gave you terrible imprinting, and you ended up getting a girl pregnant when you were 16 or 17, right? And and she got pregnant with such a dipshit, he didn't even stick around. So she's got some apologizing to do, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, you owe me a huge amount for the dipshit, stupid-ass, violent, brutal, dumb decisions that you made. Good. You're sorry. You owe me. Now stop talking about religion with my kids. That's your cross to bear, mama. That's your deal. That's what you owe me. And if she's like, well, I can't hold Jesus away from the children. It's like, then you're not sorry. Because that's your Hail Mary. It, 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 would, it, would break, it would break her. And maybe I'm just, again, cutting her slack. But it would break her to hold that. Well, better her, her than anyway. your children. Better sure. her than your children. Because she's an adult. She made her choices. Your children are babies, toddlers. They can't make those choices. If someone has to be broken, it's the adult, not the children. Your mom made choices. She made choices to get pregnant. And 25, not 17 like you. You were still legally a child. So she made choices. She chose to get pregnant. She chose to get married. She chose to keep the abuser in her life. She chose to reject her entire family based on her need for that abuser. Right? Those are choices that people make. Now, when they get old, they can play the, I'm so fragile and self-pitying and this and that. Where the fuck was all that fragility when you were actually fragile? Where was all her concern about fragility when you were actually fragile? No. No, 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 no. No. If she broke, if she gets broken, whatever that means, then she broke herself. And if you have to choose between really upsetting your mom and having your mom inflict superstition on your kids, well, 
I don't even have to tell you what your responsibility as a parent is, right? Yeah, that's that's why I said I would rather just I would rather cut that relationship off than even deal with that drama. That's your choice. But then don't tell me she apologized. Okay. Because she didn't. I, I, I see that there is a need for restitution. You're right. There is a need for restitution. And if she's like, well, you know, I'm sorry that I can't talk to your kids about Jesus, but I guess that's the price that I had to pay for not protecting you as a child. I accept that. Now, that doesn't make up for your child abuse, but at least it means she's taking her apology with a smidgen of seriousness. She's putting some sort of action behind it, yeah. Well, she's willing to suffer for having caused other people to suffer, right? I do believe it's an eye for an eye, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So that that kind of leads into a, a big part of my question, where how do we prevent... One, one last, sorry, just before yeah. we get to that last bit, one last bit about this. Go for it. You have to break the pattern, you have to break the pattern, Patrick, of sacrificing children for the comfort of adults. Wasn't that what happened to you? It was exactly what happened to me. Right. Now you're talking, and I know you're not seriously contemplating it, but now you're talking about sacrificing your children's reality for the comfort of your mom, which means more children get sacrificed for the comfort of your mom, which is exactly what happened to you. That's the cycle you have to break. Okay. Nothing comes above the security of the children. Nothing comes above the integrity and safety of the children. If your mom had lived by that principle, you'd be a whole lot better off. She didn't, and I'm incredibly sorry for that. You must. And if it's that's at her expense, well, you make your bed, you lie in it in life, right? If your mom's right. a smoker, she doesn't get to take one of your lungs, right? Right. But sorry, you had another question? Yeah, so my my wife has issues like these as well, and it, it was, I guess, aside from going to see a therapist or talking to someone, how, how can you prevent kind of making carbon copies of all of your problems on, on your kids? Uh, like with my daughter, I tried my, my whole life goal raising my, my 15 year old was to teach her to be smarter than I was to, um, you know, not have a kid before she was a, a grown up. you know, um, to not duplicate my mistakes. Um, I felt, I felt guilty about my mistakes and, and I, and I really tried to, to teach her Everything I did, I talked openly about the things I did wrong. I talked openly and in depth her entire life about why I felt th that uh, I made the decisions I made and why that they ended up being wrong. And 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 I I I don't think that was enough, is what I'm saying. Um, why? And I, What's I think. Um, well, nothing yet, but um, she's actually. She's actually becoming uh, a wonderful young lady, uh, but she's she's fifteen, so a lot can happen. This is this is like crunch time for all the parenting that you've done, you know, for for the lifetime of the child. The the high school years is kind of where everything goes goes wonderful or just goes to shit. So, um, I, I'm just nervous constantly about that. I, I, it's so important to me that like I see the mistakes my mother made that she never really talked to me about, 
Um, and so I made the decision to be really open and upfront with my mistakes with my daughter. And, and um, I, I don't know if you have any other advice besides that for our kids um, to, to kind of help us not pass our shit down, so to speak. Well, it's, it's prevention, right? I mean, it, it, it's prevention. So if, if there are people around that you can't be honest with, then if they're around your kids, you are going to clearly signal to your kids that honesty is not the highest value. If people are around your kids because they bully you or because you're scared of them, then you're going to teach your children that bullies run the world and that they have to conform with those bullies. If you have toxic people around your kids, then either they're around your kids because your kids, like you don't even know that they're toxic, even though your kids will, in which case you're going to look like a complete idiot and dangerous, and they're going to lose trust and respect for you. Or you do know that they're toxic and you're letting them around your kids anyway, in which case the outcome is going to be even worse. So it, it is around, to me, it's around controlling the environment, right? So for me, people say, well, how do I be a good parent? Well, it's, it's like saying, how do you lose weight or, or how do you eat healthy? You control your intake, right? You, right. You can't be in a, in a house full of chain smokers and train for, to, to win a marathon, right? Right. You have to control your environment. You have to be around, like, you have to be around the right things. And if you're a recovering addict, uh, sorry, if you're a recovering victim of child abuse, you have to not be around people who are continuing the abuse or who have maintained the abuse or who aren't correcting for the abuse. To parenting is mostly around the environment. If the environment is full of of sane and healthy and rational and peaceful people, your job as a parent becomes infinitely easier. Whereas if you're training for a marathon and you're smoking and eating cheesecake, it doesn't matter how much you train, you ain't going to win because your environment is all wrong. And so parenting, everyone thinks it's just, well, parent to child, parent to child, parent to child. No, 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 no. It's the whole clan. It's the whole tribe around you that conditions your parenting because the people around your child are the people that your child views as society, as the world. And they will judge you by the company you keep. They will not judge you by what you say. You fundamentally won't even be judged by what you do with them. You will be judged by the people around you in the eyes of your children, right? Right, yeah. You thought your mom was okay or pretty good or not hitty or whatever until she got this asshole in her life. And then your respect for her went into the toilet, right? Because you judged her by who she was surrounded by. And then she got rid of the people who intervened, albeit too late. But she got rid of the people, and your respect for her probably went down even more, right? Yeah. I, don't, I, I, so, I, think, I, I think I reacted wrong. I think rather than my respect going down for her, I felt that she was helpless. And so my need to protect her went up. <laughs> I didn't talk about the need to protect. <laughs> There's no greater contempt that we can have for a human being than to call them helpless. I mean, that is to strip your mother of any moral agency or moral responsibility. That is to treat her. You know who's helpless? 
infants. Infants are helpless. And so you're saying to your mother, when you say, well, she's helpless, that may relieve you from anger. It may relieve you of moral condemnation, but it destroys any capacity for respect that you have for your mother because by saying that she's helpless, you're saying that she is an adult infant and should not be allowed to drive and should not be able to live alone and should not be given any voting or any moral responsibility or any responsibility of any kind. So you can assign to her the fantasy label of helpless, but if you think that saves your respect for her, you're incredibly wrong. I guess I had to, I, 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 I mean, obviously now I know better, but I guess back then I had to, uh, it, it was either relieve her of her moral agency or, I don't know, run because she's evil. I, it, what, no, no, I, look, I understand why you did it then, of course. I mean, what else could you do? You had to view her as helpless because the idea that she was watching you get hit and not doing anything when she could would be too horrifying for words. So I get why you did it then, but... That was then. To give you a cliche back, that was then and this is now. Right? Yes, yes. She was not helpless. She was not at all helpless. These were choices that she made. And if she is helpless, then her behavior cannot be modified and therefore you will never have any control over how she treats your children. So the helplessness, even if we accept it fully, it does not mean that she's a suitable person to have around your kids. Understood. Understood. That- now, sorry, Mike, I'm just going to ask you to jump in for a sec because, with, I mean, you're the one who's seen, I think, probably the most the environmental argument that, of the environment that I've sort of created, my wife and I have created for Izzy. Um, it seems fairly valid. I mean, you don't, I mean, there's no mean people around her, right? No, there's no mean people around her. And if anything happens that's even slightly concerning, she comes up to you and you talk about it. And sometimes you talk about it for days. Sometimes it comes up for a few weeks. If it's anything that's out of the norm that she doesn't quite understand. And, I mean, certainly I've witnessed firsthand, once you have that bond, I mean, there's a level of protection there that... I mean, I certainly didn't have, and I think every child absolutely deserves. I mean, you don't have to worry about any, you know, the strange guy in a van stories or anything like that. I mean, you you know everything that happens with her, even if she goes to, like, a gymnastics camp or something of the sort, because she tells you everything, because you have that trust and you have that bond. Yeah, so, Patrick, uh, I think it's... Um... You know, prepare the nest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I, if, you, I, if you... I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And I, and I think, I think the, the, our primary job for preparing the nest is to fix ourselves, I think, at this point. I think uh, I've done a good job over the past couple of years, and especially since I started listening to you about kind of clearing uh, the, the, the bad people out of our lives and the drama out of our lives and it's been so much more peaceful um and so that has kind of created an environment where maybe now we can start to work on ourselves um i know my my wife was a or is an iraq veteran she had some ptsd uh issues so um we're also kind of working through that because i know it's going to be a it, it could potentially have a pretty dangerous impact 
on uh, on the kids. Yeah, and I'm I'm very sorry about that. That is uh, obviously very very hard stuff to live with. I certainly commit respect enormously both of your commitment to the peaceful parenting thing. I am I'm telling you that if it will pay off in ways that are you know beyond imagining. I mean the 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 peace and and happiness that comes out of this approach to parenting is unimaginable. It's it's literally infinitely greater than what I was expecting. It doesn't mean we don't have conflicts. Doesn't mean there's not transitions and all that. I mean that's sort of the point, right? Um, but it will pay off. You know, what the, life is always pay me now or pay me later. You, you pay me now or you pay me later with interest, right? Right. Right. You quit smoking now, which is uncomfortable, or you get lung cancer, which is really uncomfortable, right? It's always pay me now or pay me later. And so much of the evil in the world, and I'm not talking about you guys or even your families here, but so much of the evil in the world is maintained by pretending that there's no pay me later. And with regards to your mom, she subjected you to years of child abuse. She invited a child abuser into your home who beat you regularly for years. That, I can tell you that only happens because people think that they can get away with it. In other words, they can pull the guilt card, the I'll be broken, the manipulative card later and get away with it, right? And, and if they know they can't get away with it, if people find out you can't get away with it, well, things will change, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. If, if people know that they're going to get a million dollars at the age of 60, how much money are they going to save for their retirement? They're not. Whatever you subsidize later, you encourage in the present. And not holding people responsible for child abuse when they get older is a massive subsidy to child abusers in the present. Because if the word gets out that people are being held to account by their adult children for the child abuse that they allowed or brought into their home or committed themselves, then you can't change the past. But when you change the verdict, you change the present. When you change the verdict for past deeds, when a new law comes into the land, people's behavior changes. That's the a really law comes powerful. in that says, wear your seatbelt, people start wearing their seatbelts, right? Yeah, and so if there's a law in the land which says, I don't care if it was 20 years ago, you're being held to account. That doesn't mean that we don't see you anymore, but just means you're being held to account. You cannot manipulate or bullshit or play the weak card or play the I did the best I could with the knowledge I had card or play the forgive me card or, or play the move beyond it card. If you can't play any of that bullshit with me, if that word gets out in society that the subsidies for abusers later on in life are not going to be there, people will change what they do now. And that is the best way to change the world because we don't have time for multi, multi, multi-generational stuff. We've got to move more quickly. When the word gets out that if you abused your kids 20 years ago, you will be held to account and all the usual bullshit that parents claim as excuses, as ways of, of minimizing, as ways of saying let's move past it or let's move beyond it or let's basically pretend it didn't happen. If that shit doesn't work, that has a very powerful effect on parenting in the here and now. Because parents now are going to be on notice that in 20 years they won't get 
to play the infinite, often estrogen-based excuse card, which means that they'll just have to improve in the here and now. If you can't get away with it later, then you'll have to fix it now. And that's one of the things that I have been talking about in this show for many years. It's not about punishing parents fundamentally for what happened 20 years ago. It's about knowing that the excuses are drying up, which changes parents' behavior in the here and now. It's about saving the kids now, not fundamentally about punishing the parents of the past, but the two are inextricably linked. So hopefully um, you guys will give me a shout. I'm, you know, uh, parenting stuff is one of my favorite things to talk about. And if and when you run into challenges, you know, please call. And I say this to parents out there as a whole. I'm, I'm no oracle of parenting. Yes, I have one daughter. I don't have like six kids. So, um, but, but I do have principles. And I'm not saying I'm the only person with principles, but I have principles, philosophical principles that I think are incredibly valuable with regards to parenting. So, you know, open invitation, you know, call. Um, this is a, a topic I love to talk about. So uh, if you guys want to call back any time, you're welcome. Sorry, go ahead. I will absolutely follow up with you. I am so excited to to experience developing this kind of connection that I can just feel listening to you talk to having with your daughter. Um, or talk about. So I really appreciate everything you do. And I, I am waiting with bated breath for your parenting book. Please don't, uh, please don't delay. <laughs> We're on it. We're on it. It's uh, it's, uh... It's being ground away. Uh, I'm sorry uh, about that. But, uh, well, thank you um, uh, so much, uh, Patrick. Um, Elena, was it? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, there's a military lady. (laughs) Yes, sir. I may have a short haircut, but I have zero rank in in the military. Thanks so much, guys. Um, And and rest up for your pregnancy. Um, Let us know when the kid pops, and and, uh, I'll, I'll pop a bubbly... Uh, in, in your honor and uh, congratulations so much on uh, the work that you're doing. I, I'm I'm positive it's going to pay off fantastically. Thank you very, very much. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Bye. All right. Well, I guess we are done for a fairly lengthy show, but uh, thank you so much, everyone who's called up. Um, any other announcements we got going on, Mike? Documentary, yeah, it's on the list. <laughs> Parenting book is on the list. Um, parenting is getting in the way of the actual parenting book being written yeah yeah i'm I'm still doing research Um, (laughs) i feel like you know kenneth Branagh wrote wrote the story of his life when he was 27 uh it was his autobiography and i'm like well my child's five let me put out my parenting book it's like well let's uh (laughs) we could do one to five parenting kind of thing no because it's mostly done by now she's five i know come on (laughs) anyway so um sorry people don't know that that's what isabella sometimes says (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, fdrurl.com slash donate. Come on, people. You know, it's a great, great conversation helping hundreds of thousands of people around the world live better, more productive, more peaceful lives. Um, so uh, please cough up. Uh, if you're consuming, we request respectfully, as my daughter says, I, re- I, I request, demand, command, and respectfully request uh, to uh, to get 50 cents a show. Uh, it's hugely helpful for us. Um, it is uh, one of the metrics by which we know we're having an effect, and it's very uplifting to our spirits and uh, also helpful to keep us in food. So um, uh, fdrurl.com slash donate. Please, please do the right thing and uh, act with responsible reciprocity to what I think is an incredibly generous conversation. So um, thanks um, very much, everyone, and I guess we will talk to you Wednesday next. <laughs>